Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, this podcast is all that you get. Josh and Antonio might be it. But heaven knows they'll try. A Ted Lasso podcast and post show recaps. You better believe it. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk. I'm Josh Wiggler, joined here by Antonio Mazzaro. As always, Antonio, how you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to be talking about Ted Lasso. Uh, since our last podcast, Josh, I only watched the entirety of the series one more time. Yeah, I'm impressed. I thought I definitely would have taken the over. Uh, for <laughs> you would have sure. lost that bet, but it's not. It, it's not for lack of wanting. Uh, it's yeah. just feeling good. I'm feeling good, like I should. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched it all the way through uh, since we last spoke. That was my first ever rewatch. And I think I texted you immediately afterwards, Antonio. It's like, I'm sorry for making fun of you for watching this show 17 times. I can totally see how that would happen. Uh, <laughs> it is the kind of thing where like you can very, very easily drain like five days in a row just watching the entirety of Ted Lasso. It's just such a watchable show. Oh, my. And like it just it, you watch it, you watch one and it just makes you want to watch the next one immediately. Uh, it's really, really brilliantly designed like that. I had such a good time with my rewatch. And we're going to mostly be talking about season one. We're going to go through all of the episodes from season one today. Talk about the storylines from that first season of Ted Lasso. Talk about all the characters and use this as a way to leverage ourselves into season two, which is dropping on Apple TV Plus July 23rd. We're going to be covering it episodically here on Post Show Recaps. We hope you are along for the ride. I believe you are. First of all, you're listening to the podcast, so you're probably along for the ride unless, I don't know, uh, this came on by mistake, in which case, sorry, I yeah. guess. Sorry if you're uh, somehow passed out and this just showed up on your phone. That was That's that's pretty rough to wake up yeah, to this. You but, just like woke up and go, oh, well, what yeah. are you guys doing Who here? Who are these guys? Uh, what is Ted Lasso? But I do believe we have many people in the tank. I do want to just uh, shout out all the people who were so kind at the announcement that we were doing this podcast. A bunch of people who had never watched Ted Lasso before, Antonio, and have since remedied that. Uh, a special shout out uh, to Chris Whitaker, uh, who did the Antonio Mazzaro thing. Uh, he had not watched this show at all uh, and uh, came to us via we put this podcast out in our old Mr. Robot podcast feed or Leftovers podcast feed just in case you guys wanted to hear the next thing that Antonio and I were doing uh, so a few people who are finding us that way and Chris was one of them and Chris uh, had never seen it as of Tuesday and as of uh, Saturday he had watched it I believe uh, three times nice three times nice job uh, Chris the taking the Mazzaro approach. So uh, a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really good. I'm happy for that. And I'm, I really am thankful for everybody's kind words and uh, everybody's excitement. That's super hype. 
Uh, this one, Josh, right? This will be uh, in our own Ted Lasso show feed. Is that correct? Yeah. If it's not available yet, it will be very, very, very soon. We will have a dedicated Ted Lasso podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so seek that out if you uh, if you are so inclined. Of course, your ratings, your reviews are especially appreciated at this point in time as we are hoping to uh, bring more people into our community here to listen to us talking about Ted Lasso to engage with us as we engage with the show. It's all about community here. Uh, we want to build. Well, this one's not about community. That's community building. That's a different <laughs> podcast. This one's about Ted Lasso, but a Ted Lasso community is what we aim to build. Uh, so look for that in your uh, wherever you get your podcast. We will have that feed established. If not now, then very, very, very soon. We also have our email addresses up and operational. Uh, Ted Lasso at Post Show Recap. Recaps.com. You can email us, Ted Lasso at PostShowRecaps.com. If you've got thoughts, feelings, questions, anything like tiny little missives, if you want to say uh, uh, good job on the extra pass uh, from, from me to Antonio, that's the way. To, if anything that we say is in touch. <laughs> you mean out into touch? Into touch. Damn it. I didn't get the $5. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it. I'm yeah. trying. I'm trying. Is the uh, X card, the, is it just a red card? Is that what it is? I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, so send that our way. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. In addition to our Twitters at Rand Howard. That's me. Antonio's at AC Mazar with how many Z's? How many R's? It's two Z's and just, just the one R. Just the one yeah. R. Um, that's all of the setup that I think that we need for this week. We're talking Ted, talking Ted Lasso, talking season one specifically as we are building the road. This is not Ted Lasso Road. We love to do we Mr. Robot Road. Robot Road was a fun thing that we did once upon a time when we were setting up season two of Mr. Robot. Uh, we like to call this a Lasso Lane. Yeah. We had thought about lassoed, but that doesn't really work. Like, uh, no. and, and we were going to do. I think we could. We had considered doing just like full length podcast about each of these, but um, timing the didn't work the out. The summer yep. quickly passed us by, so we don't want to start in with season two of Ted Lasso without talking about the fantastic uh, elements of season one that really jumped out to us episode by episode, tracing some of the key storylines as they evolve over the course of this first season. So that's what we're going to be doing here today. Fully spoilers of season one. Yes. So, you yes. know, if you haven't watched it, go do it. Important that you know that we're going to do full spoilers for season one of Ted Lasso. We gave you the week to watch the show. Many of you have done that. Some of you are still thinking about doing it. This is the one that's dangerous if you are going to watch the show and you haven't done so yet. Go watch the show. Pause this. Watch the show. Come back uh, and listen to our takes on season one of Ted Lasso. That's enough of a buffer. I think we can now talk about the spoilers of Ted Lasso. So it's pretty wild how he gets abducted by aliens. I did not expect that. I also did not expect him to be a Loki. Yeah, that was wild that he turned out, that Ted turned out to be, that they all, frankly, everybody yeah. uh, is, a, is a Loki variant. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, saw, the- I saw Roy Kent as a Loki, personally. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I expected that, but the lasso really yeah. threw me for a loop. Beard also Jamie obviously Tart Loki. is burdened with glorious purpose. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think that's you true. can say. That's true, yeah. yes. Another! Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, Leslie Higgins, total Loki. Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is obvious. That one that one was it. That one did jump right out for sure. What yeah. about Nate? Rebecca Welton, queen of the Lokis, for yeah. sure. Um, no, Nate Nate as a Loki, once he started uh, reading from uh, uh, from his little his little printout. Uh, <laughs> it's very Loki-like. 
That was very low key. He was like. also low key throughout the series, so it worked. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Um, all right, let's talk. Let's talk about this show. actual spoilers. <laughs> let's talk about actual spoilers for real. I think one thing uh, right off the the jump that was a that was a huge piece of um, that was really informative for my rewatch this time, Antonio, because now I'm like I am reading, um, you know, press about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, since we last spoke, got like uh, all, every single possible Emmy nomination that you can possibly get. I think like. Basically, every single actor, uh, every series regular just about was nominated uh, for for an Emmy Award. Uh, so congratulations to the Lasso Squad. That's fantastic. Diamond Dog's doing great uh, in terms of awards representation. But there's a lot of press surrounding um, the, the season two launch that I'm now engaging in, hadn't engaged previously. Um, and so I'm just now becoming aware, Antonio, that at least as far as like Jason Sudeikis is concerned, Ted Lasso is like a three season arc and that's it. Uh, that this is a show that is built around a three season story structure, whether it continues beyond that point, you know, money can talk. Uh, but like this is sort of the, the, the idea that it is this like three pronged tale. Um, and we are uh, talking about, you know, basically, you know, act one, and then we're going to be getting into act two as soon as next week. That definitely influenced how I watched this first season, kind of like thinking about it as um, really like the very deliberate start of this, um, this long but contained journey. At some point while I was watching season one, I did know that the plan had been for a three season arc and still... The end of season one came as a kind of a jaw dropper to me because the show does play so much and so heavily on these sporting film tropes, uh, things that we're used to seeing. I mean, the whole plot of a, uh, a, a sort of spurned or a female team owner who is wanting the team to do poorly uh, out of spite or for her own personal agenda is directly the plot of the movie Major League. So it, it, it plays with these tropes, but I expected that the end of the season would be Lasso pulls it out somehow, even though he didn't want to draw or kiss your sister or tie or whatever you want to call it, that AFC Richmond was going to rule the day and that the, the, the trick plays were going to work and they were going to draw and they were going to stay up. They weren't going to get relegated and then they do get relegated. And once I, even though I knew it was going to be a three season arc, I, I was surprised by that. Knowing that though, you can really trace a pretty clear line, right? Where, End of season one, they get relegated. Then I guess at the end of season two, my expectation would be that they are promoted again, that they come back up, that they uh, elevate to the top division in the English Football League pyramid, and they're back at the top division again. And then in the third season, they win the division. That seems to be the clear arc. Considering that the, they played with our expectations at the end of that first season, I'm not sure if that's what this show will do, but it does seem to map pretty clearly to a three-season arc like that. Uh, the relegation, the promotion, and then the champion, uh, the being league champions. Um, they may not do that, but it does seem to have a pretty clear three-season story if they do it that way. There are so many things that you can win or compete for. If you're an English football club, though, Josh, that honestly, it doesn't have to be winning the Premier League. It could be something completely different. And I, I guess we're just going to have to wait to find out directly uh, what their plan for the three seasons are. But it definitely seems like they could they could map that pretty clearly onto something like that. Yeah, I'm just excited. This was something we used to talk about with with Mr. Robot and even the leftovers. Is this, is this not kind of our specialty, Antonio? We love we love the show that's very character focused, uh, that's really character driven and has like a tight 
end of the line in mind. Yeah. Uh, like a, se- a three season leftovers, a four season Mr. Robot, a three season Ted Lasso. We, we love this. This is our wheelhouse. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I think like you can really feel the build of momentum, not just in terms of like, certainly like the journey of season one is, is Ted, uh, fish out of water, has no idea what he's doing here, is very eagerly ready to take on the challenge, needs to take on the challenge really because of what's going on in his own life as it manifests across the season and is even, um, you know, uh, very, uh, very strongly gestured at in the first episode that things are not, uh, as they should be for him, um, in his family life. Uh, that like you can you can really see that storyline of like the town falling in love with Ted, the team falling in love with Ted, the people falling in love with Ted, and uh, you know vice versa. And I think with that momentum built up here, like it's it's a lo- a lot of track is laid for where the show could possibly go moving forward. But knowing that there is this hard stop, hopefully um, not terribly long from now, uh, you know we've got this season and then potentially one more and that could be it um feels like there is something true to drive towards an actual goal if you will if you will oh i will i agree and i i really do enjoy watching television shows with that clarity of purpose with the understanding that they know when the ending is coming they can they can write to the ending they can plan out these arcs over multiple seasons um, they can therefore work from the beginning of the show uh, to something that will be delivered on at the end of the show. They don't have to retcon anything. They don't have to deliver or smash anything uh, into a different area that it wasn't meant to be. It, it gives them that that sort of clarity of purpose. This is a show that when it debuted, uh, as, as we talked about in the first episode, expectations had to be pretty low. Because you're talking about a show based on a commercial, ultimately. And that does not have a great track record. Unless you're a big fan of the Geico Cavemen, Josh, uh, and, and other shows, I, th- I think, that have been commercials turned into TV shows. They just have not typically gone well. So I think the bar was pretty low. And I do believe that the, the, the people that were involved in the making of the show knew that. They knew that, look, we just have to clear a pretty low bar of a show that's being made about a commercial. And I think we're going to be good. But... It's interesting because what we're seeing, what we saw in season one is based on their sensibilities about what they thought uh, was correct and what they thought would work. They weren't making this in anything other than an echo chamber. They didn't have any feedback. They didn't have any reviews. They didn't have anything to go on. That Ted Lasso critical sort of uh, just wave that rolled over everybody and the popularity of the show did not evolve. Right? It, it, did, it did evolve. It did not emerge right away. Um in season two for in, in middle in somewhere shortly after season one debuts they announce uh, season two is renewed i think it's a few days after that they say we're yeah. going to season two pick up and then it isn't for months that they announce we're going to go ahead and pick up for season three as well and that is based on the clarity uh, of the response and the reviews and just the way that the show picked up momentum so the good thing is uh, season two was made in a similar way in that they didn't really know exactly how popular the show was when they sat down to break season two. So season two will again, I think, reflect not the expectations game and not the results game. It's just going to reflect them doing again what they thought was right. And that was what was so good about season one. And then knowing that they only have the one season left, I'm sure it's going to be a great three season uh, program. That said, over the course of season one, 
there are several arcs that emerge. And I, I think what you probably see, I mean, it's not lost on me that this first episode is called Pilot. It doesn't have a name like the rest of them. And my guess is probably that this was sort of written and shot separately if it was truly a pilot uh, and that it was not shot out of sequence like the sixth episode or anything. Uh, and it wasn't something where they had broken the whole season when they shot the pilot. I right. think they probably just had this episode ready and they shot it. So I do think you can see some of the stuff start to emerge in the third and fourth and fifth episodes that maybe isn't so much in play in the pilot. The pilot is more setting the table and setting the stage. And it isn't for the next few episodes where we really get to uh, the meat of some of the relationships of the show. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's do let's let's chart the arcs. Um I think it makes sense to go through it episodically and let's begin with the pilot um which really is the journey of jet-lagged Ted uh and uh I think a fairly rested coach beard uh on <laughs> on that flight <laughs> on that flight fine. over. Yeah, he seems um, fine. Yeah, I don't think that they met in their dreams that night uh unfortunately because Ted was not able to fall asleep. But I love that idea. This is a recurring theme with Ted uh when Nate later uh tells Ted that he had a nightmare uh in which he and Ted did not get along and Ted forgives Nate and tells Nate to when he sees him in his dream try to apologize in the dreams so we're square there too. Uh, I just love that little runner of like dream Ted Lasso. Like if we don't get a dream episode uh at some point I will be uh, lightly disappointed but not deeply <laughs> disappointed. It, uh, I wonder if there are format breaking Ted Lasso episodes. It would be interesting to see if they play with that at all. Uh You know a, a lot of the critics have seemingly seen a decent amount of Ted Lasso. I think six episodes of season two i have not neither have you um i'm trying to avoid that stuff uh so if there's like chatter out there about any specific episodes i do not know of it and i do not wish to um uh but yeah so he's coming over and this is this is the setup right like we're finding out who ted is we're finding out who rebecca welton is recently divorced she is now uh the owner of afc richmond uh and we will come to find out over the course of the episode and this is really the big driver of so much of the season that she intends hired uh ted as somebody who knows nothing about the sport uh to deliberately destroy afc richmond from within so as to get back at her awful terrible uh horrific ex-husband rupert Mannion, played by anthony head of buffy the vampire slay uh the slay Ugh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame. Uh, Buffy Anthony Vampire Head. the Slayer? I'm not familiar. I don't with that know one. what's going on. Uh, it's been. It was a long drive home. The Tony other day. Head. Tony Head. Uh, Tony, Tony Head. Uh, and uh, this is the only thing he's ever loved. So she's going to destroy it to get back at him. Uh, and this is sort of like the very simple premise of the show, uh, which is obviously going to be a lot more complicated by all of the various character uh, interactions and um, uh, relationships that form over the course of the season. Yeah, it is significant, I think, that we begin the pilot with Rebecca. We don't begin with Ted. We begin with AFC Richmond. We begin with the Sex Pistols' God Save the Queen, itself sort of a piss take on the God Save the Queen anthem, right? And it's very much uh, representative, I think, of a particular time and era of uh, English life that uh, was really rough for a lot of people. Those late 70s into the mid 80s uh, and the terrible austerity policies and everything that they've wrought on that country um, and all of the response uh, culturally, musically, etc. Um, it really resonates uh, when you think about the, the certain time periods of Britain, especially. Uh, that is definitely one. And that is definitely one that jumps off the page. And it is one for football that had significant impacts. I mean, it ultimately led to the formation 
of the Premier League. Uh, some of the things that were going on in terms of austerity or the way that um, horrible things that were happening in society manifested on the sport. So I think it's really interesting to begin that way. And it's also interesting how this song sort of winds down as we pan up from the field to Rebecca. Uh, it almost fizzes out like if you turn off a record player while a record's still playing. Uh, it just powers down. Uh, and we see Rebecca there. And we, we find out pretty quickly. We don't find out right away in the episode. But before the episode is two-thirds of the way through, we find out that she's not misguided in her plan that this is all really kind of a wicked plan. Uh, we're, we're on Rebecca's side. I mean, she's very funny. She's immediately beefing with a terrible manager that she fires who can't stop showing his nuts off. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're on Rebecca's side right away. And that's important because I do believe we're also on Lasso's side right away. I think it's very interesting in the pilot, the choice that he is a fish out of water, but he's a curious fish. Uh, yes. The fish metaphor persists throughout the show, obviously, with the be a goldfish. It's the happiest animal on the planet. Right. And that for good 10 reason. second memory. Yeah. I, that, that is something that has resonated across sport. So uh, Quinn Snyder, the head coach of the Utah Jazz basketball team recently, I believe after a really tough loss for the Utah Jazz uh, commented like I like Ted Lasso I want our guys to be a goldfish like I want our guys to forget about this stuff so that is a that is definitely something that you know we're we're on Ted's side but we're on Rebecca's side as well so by the end of the pilot seeing them pitted against each other it's rough and it's a very delicate uh, thread uh, or needle to thread because how do you not hate uh, somebody that is causing such pain to somebody that you love um, but that is certainly a, a theme throughout all of these episodes is the push pull with Rebecca and knowing that she's wrong, in fact, and knowing that she's causing pain to someone uh, like Ted and us still loving Ted. It's it's right there at the beginning of the show that the, those two being pitched against each other and what that's going to mean for both of them, for us watching the show, all of it. I think it's really great how it sets the stakes out pretty clearly. What it doesn't do ultimately so much in the pilot, although it does it just enough, I think is let us know um, the depth of Ted Lasso. We don't find out till the end of the episode that Ted is having marital problems. We only find out a little bit how he is because his wife can't say, I love you. Um, he's calling home. There's clearly something going on there. Um, it's a great scene. It hits like uh, a ton of bricks, doesn't it? It does. And and I think that this is this is like, you know, watching the first episode, I think you're sold on it fairly quickly or at least i am like i think like it's so charming it's so sharp um you know the the dynamic between uh jason sudeikis and and brendan hunt as as coach beard is just like it's so established like the rapport between these two characters um that you can't help but kind of get behind it um even though you don't really know the the members of the team terribly well in this episode you start to get like um, some shades of these guys. This is the one we were talking about this before we came online uh, of, of Roy Kent saying, I didn't think my career would end being coached by Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Uh, we left out and, profanity that Roy Kent is yeah, so fond of there. I'm, I'm bleeping it out Good on deal. him him looking at at beard and saying you're gonna let him talk to you like yeah. that uh is is very good but i think it's it's that moment at the end and it's it's very hooky right like there's a really a very great grabby idea of 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 what's rebecca planning and and ted's role in that like you're interested but i think it is this moment at the end um where ted is talking to his wife she can't say i love you back jason sudeikis is doing so much work on that one-sided conversation that scene and 
it's just not really a side of him as a performer I had seen before. Um, and so like, it's this, I it's, it's this, it's this sort of announcement of like, this isn't just like a funny show. This isn't just a clever show. Um, there's, there's going to be something underneath the surface, underneath the hood of this thing. that's going to be worth you taking a closer look at. Yep. It's a great scene to, to throw at the end for that reason, for sure. And it really plays well. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of nuance in the dynamics. Um, the, the Rebecca and Higgins relationship, also, we see sort of kicking off here. We understand the original sin therein and everything that Higgins did with Rupert uh, to try to run things behind Rebecca's back and how Rebecca is sort of weaponizing that against Higgins, uh, saying our current communications director offering him a promotion in order to get him to play ball on her, her plots. Uh, and Higgins being sort of uncomfortable with that, being pushed into it, bullied into it, but also feeling like he maybe does owe Rebecca something. Yes, the enticement of more money uh, is probably popular considering how big Higgins' family is and how small the house is and those expensive veterinarian bills that I'm sure he's racking up for poor Cindy Clawford. <laughs> oh, poor Cindy Clawford, whose imminent death is going to emotionally wreck me yes. in ways I can't imagine. R.I.P. to Cindy Clawford. Uh, oh, my but, God. Yeah, I mean, that is an enticement, but I also think there's a, a huge part uh, level of guilt on Higgins part and I really like how that relationship uh, evolves over the course of this first season and it is Higgins ultimately who is the first to really push so hard against Rebecca uh, being involved in the way that she is it is, is a, he's a prime mover on, on his own volition uh, and Higgins buying into Ted Lasso before others do and really wanting to get on board with uh, what the Lasso way is is really manifesting at AFC Richmond. I think it's interesting to know where where Higgins and Rebecca start. And I think that the pilot does a good job of in a very quick kind of couple of scenes setting that up. It's a little expository. Uh, there's a little bit of exposition or backstory there that Rebecca sort of uh, spouts out to Higgins. But it, it's very effective in terms of setting the stakes with those characters and also making Rebecca as again i her motivations are clear the the beginning of the series i think especially does a great job of making a clear like why we might not be completely out on her or treat her as fully antagonistic as we might for like a one-dimensional villain there's a lot more to it here and the second episode does a good job of i think uh, especially at the end following up on that aspect of it as well um i also really love in the pilot though how we get the introduction again things that are followed up on of ted lasso's issues with uh, sparkling water <laughs> yes i was just gonna i was gonna bring that up if you didn't uh that like he's he cannot anticipate the bubbles in the water which is so funny to me as i am currently drinking a seltzer uh same seltzer that i was drinking during the worst day ever 24 podcast if you listen to that podcast it played a role there as well this cool. podcast not sponsored by polar seltzer i like as, seltzer uh, through lines uh, there is a seltzer through line to, to the two Monday <laughs> podcasts on post show recaps on July 19th, 2021, uh, released on that date. Um, yeah, I, I think that's hysterical. Uh, it, it plays this role. Well, he's, you know, he's having this very horrible press conference where he's being set up. Uh, and, you know, he like gives it his, his, you know, best Ted Lasso effort and it just lands like a sack of shit with this room. Uh, and, you know, he's getting the wanker treatment like right out the gate, basically. Uh, and he tries to, to uh, you know, like calm his nerves by taking a sip of water provided. And yeah, it's the seltzer. And he just shoots it out like a rocket, which he will do again at the very end of the season in the final scene. It's a great hilarity. I mean, the, yeah. the final scene, hilarious. We'll, we'll certainly hit that as we wind through here. 
A couple other quick notes I had on on season one. Uh, Ted Lasso coaching the Wichita State Shockers, who are not a Division One football team, but he coaches them to a championship at a lower level. Uh, and we see that the viral video, that's how Rebecca probably knows about Ted Lasso. Um, that's a nod in many ways in respects to uh, the sort of creation or the origination of the character Ted Lasso. Uh, somebody that uh, Jason Sudeikis is basing a lot of this on uh, experiences he had as a high school athlete uh, and people that he's interacting with that coached him i think one in particular there are some articles about there out there that you can read about if you have a subscription to the athletic for example there's an article on there about it um but this is just a nod to uh, sudeikis's roots in some ways that this is a wichita state thing the kansas city stuff uh we're not in kansas anymore these are all jason sudeikis's uh that's first jason time i said that not bloodline. in kansas indeed uh, and it, it also, I like, it feels different, Josh, the same, but different. Um, yep. and I like the metaphor. I like that, that kind of, that's a, a bit of a runner throughout the series. It comes up again, uh, in a running context. Uh, so I like that the first episode introduces that as well. And I also like, uh, what we get at the end of the first episode with a needle drop of Bismarck key in the credits, sort of calling back to Ted Lasso's awkward beatbox moment. Uh, also not really well-timed, uh, for us to be talking about Bismarck yes. key right now, speaking of RIP, but, uh, I really like the show's use of music throughout um i think probably because it's a warner show and an apple show uh they have extensive access to music catalogs that they can pull from uh and this is a probably i think they do a really good job integrating their needle drops the bismarck key at the end of the first episode is a really fun way to to kind of take us out of that first episode uh and that's the first real big one uh at the end there are several other end credits songs that work really well as well yeah. Um yeah, we could we could go on and on. I think the first episode just there it's it's important to to hit your beats, you know, hit your marks with your first episode. It doesn't have to be the best episode of your show and it probably won't be, but it should you should try not to have it be your worst. Uh and you really got to make us want to come back for more and I think they do that and then some with the pilot. Um so that's the first episode it dropped alongside on August 14th, 2020 alongside the second and third episodes. My understanding is that for season 2 it will be one episode per week, but imagine that glorious day on August 14th, 2020 when you were able to go straight from pilot into biscuits. Uh like I think that uh it would have been it would have been hard uh, as it is for Rebecca to to put them down these uh delicious treats that it turns out that ted is baking himself so much about uh english culture he gets wrong or doesn't jive with but when it comes to baking biscuits he's a legend ted lasso immediately put him on the bake-off baby yeah i know he's right in there one of the best amateur bakers that rebecca's ever seen and she doesn't even realize that it's amateur stuff that's being put out there i want to know when he made those biscuits though man is it just because he couldn't sleep are those insomnia biscuits did he get the idea that night did he go out and buy those beautiful little pink boxes is this something he showed up intending to do uh, i don't know i my sense is you tell me this is this is worth chewing on for a second like a biscuit is like so like on the flight over coach beard is doing nothing but reading the literature right like yeah. he's trying to learn the language of the sport inverting the pyramid uh, and I feel like Ted's whole thing is, or at least like his primary thing beyond like knowing the sport is like knowing the people and like winning over the people and like, uh, you know, really sharpening the team and every single person who's on it. And that is the people who are who are playing on the pitch. Uh, that's the people who are working around in the front office, like everybody. He wants everybody to be on the on the team. I imagine that something like this, if not exactly the the naming convention of biscuits with the 
boss, which is so catchy. Uh, something like that is on his mind uh, before he's he's coming over. Like this feels ritualistic for Ted. I I think so. Um, I don't know. I mean, but I do think so because otherwise it seems a little hard to conceive of when did he make this plan? How did he get what he needed? Like, how did all that come together? It feels like this was, this was definitely a plan. It, that feels like a classic Ted Lasso icebreaker. It just feels like something he had in mind the whole time. Uh, and you hear about these things throughout the course of the show. Like, oh, he had, he had had this plan for weeks, uh, to give a reporter's daughter some biscuits. Uh, and then, oh, well, you know, you can have them today, Higgins, if you're going to be here. Like, you can have them. Don't worry about it. I, it wasn't really that much. And it's like, yeah, they're wrapped up in a ribbon. Like, you clearly had this very specific plan in place. So Ted Lasso is nothing if not a planner. And it does feel like that's probably something that he conceived of well before he ever set foot on that island. Uh, I will say it is interesting. You mentioned Beard kind of immersing himself. What we see him reading on the plane at, at, at a minimum, I don't know all of what Coach Beard was doing. That book is strictly about the evolution of tactics, uh, of different formations that you can run on the pitch. Uh, football has seen a lot of tactical innovation over the years or tactical evolution. Um, the rules have changed uh, to uh, prevent certain things from happening, mainly from the, the goalkeeper from being able to pick up a ball that was passed back to him by a teammate. Um, that changed the way that football was played uh, significantly. And there have been other tactical evolutions in the sport. So Beard is immersing himself in the tactics. He's immersing himself in the numbers, the positioning, the how to move players around and that, that sort of aspect of the game. Ted knows so little about all that stuff. Even near the end of the season, he doesn't understand the significance of relegation. And it is a major source of conflict between Ted and Beard that Ted doesn't even care to learn that sort of thing. He doesn't know the offside rule, even in the last match against Manchester City, does not understand it. So um, it's, it's just an interesting way that Ted and Beard work well together. Uh, and they really help each other out. Beard's on board for the project, but the project means different things to Beard in some ways than it means to Ted, even though it means a lot of the same things. And I think we see that sort of evolving uh, over the course of the series for sure. Uh, but we, we get a little more, a little more, you know, that the, every Ted and Beard interaction we get, especially around team tactics or, or setting up the team, I think sort of underscores the differences between the two of them, even as they are very similar. Um, I love in this episode, and especially in the early episodes, how Ted is sort of befriending the locals in his neighborhood, getting on with the publican at the bar. Uh, I also really like his relationship with the schoolgirl uh, that is playing soccer with the boys out there. And yes. Ted, is, Ted is befriending her, playing soccer, that sort of thing. I really like seeing that. Yeah. Uh, this is a big episode for the Ted and Keeley uh, dynamic, which I think is maybe a little understated as the season goes on. Uh, right. Obviously, Keeley's story is going to be uh, much more entwined with her friendship with Rebecca, um, the dissolution of her relationship with Jamie, the beginning of her relationship with Roy, um, her joining uh, AFC Richmond to help with their branding. Uh, <laughs> I like, uh, I, I also would like to just sell joy uh seems like a fun thing <laughs> you'd to also attach. like to sell rollo i think yeah i would love just rollos though no none of none of <laughs> none those sweets, sour not sweets generally yeah yeah rollos yeah, yeah, yeah um but i think that this is a this is a, a big episode for her this is like the lion or panda stuff uh and even uh, i think let through me, that let me, let me ask you lion or panda yeah. 
Uh, for me personally, Panda, you know, I just like think probably closer to Wombat brand than Lion would be my <laughs> would be my bet. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll go either way. Uh, either way would would work for me. Kung Fu Panda, though, I do love. Um, I'm not sure if it's a if it's a which are you or which would you rather be in in this instance. But it sounds to me like for you, the answer is the same no, no matter what. Um, probably true. Yes. Um, but this is funny because like, this is where like Rebecca, like who is like, you know, she's not here for what Ted is selling. Like she, you know, she tells him like biscuits with the boss is not a thing that I have time for. And says like, all right, well, I guess I'll leave. She's like, you're just gonna come back tomorrow. He's like, I wouldn't bet on that unless you want to win a buttload of money. Right. Uh, so like that's, that's on the menu. And like, she, you know, is like a passerby through the lion or panda conversation. She has thoughts on the matter. So like Rebecca's personality is shining through in this moment too. the Ted Lasso effect already in in place um but also seeing the dynamic between ted and keely is going to be the impetus for her doing um i i mean i think this is like the ugly the really ugly thing that rebecca does is like she's trying to set it up uh to look like ted and keely are in a relationship to cause a scandal that uh would tear apart the team from inside but would also greatly damage not just these two individuals but other individuals as well um this is very much part and parcel with her whole um you know i will uh, i will i will raise this world and i don't really care who comes uh, who who burns to the ground as long as i come after uh, as long as i get rupert right um, hurt people hurt people you know yes. and that that is uh there, there are there is a really good i mean <laughs> not really good but it's hilarious uh we see rebecca in her office some point in the, the middle of this episode and she starts googling rupert Mannion, and the autocompletes come up and one of them is penis girth which is a little unusual mm-hmm. uh, i'm not sure why people have been looking for that specifically but that must have been in the papers curious it's, it's not lost on me right that she is going to use the the, the terrible scummy horrible uh, British tabloid press. By the way, uh, there, there's a name of one of those papers I won't even utter uh, because of how terrible they are. Um, but they, uh, you know, those are the papers that ruined her, that have that that ruined her life. That we see her ultimately alone at the end of the episode, uh, seeing the news reports about Rupert's new flame. Um, it's the media, the British media, that uh, that has caused so many problems for so many people, and that really, in the same way that our media does, but in a much, I think, uh, more magnified focus because it's a lot smaller of a place uh, and people are packed in a little bit differently uh, and there's just a different culture around it. Um, that media ruins so many lives and that is something that Rebecca has felt directly the brunt of to think that that's what she chooses to use as a weapon against these people, against Ted, against the team. Uh, it's not insignificant uh, that this is the weapon she chooses considering it's the weapon that has caused her so much damage. I think the show does a really good job. I was talking earlier about how can you have an antagonist that you don't feel super antagonistic about all the time the subtlety of her seeing those media reports right before she pulls the trigger on creating her own media reports uh, that are similarly going to damage people um, it's significant to me it says like this is not a person who is completely acting from just pure malevolence uh, a pure anger like there's a lot of hurt here in Rebecca and I think the episode does really good subtle ways of showing that that her and I think uh, just to spin that uh, off into further realms, um, we see it with Jamie Tart as well. We see Ted wanting so specifically to celebrate 
the birthday of Sam uh, because Sam is from Nigeria. Sam's really struggled since he's he's arrived in the UK. Uh, it's very difficult for him to be away from home as it is for so many players uh, who come to foreign lands to try to make uh, their way in the Premier League or in any uh, sporting league. We, these are very common stories of athletes who have a really tough time adjusting. Uh, we've, we, it seems like that's what's happening with Sam. Uh, Ted wants to do good for him. And so when Ted is talking to Sam about everything, Sam says, like, my dad used to pinch my earlobes before every match for good luck. And Sam is representing that as a very positive memory. Knowing what we know about Jamie Tart's relationship with his own father, it's very interesting, therefore, that when Jamie Tart hears Sam say this to Ted, he gets really upset. And he comments on it. And he's like, sorry, coach. Sorry, coach. But this is a Jamie Tart thing. Like Jamie Tart himself, even though he's despicable and horrible throughout much of this first season, is a hurt person. He is somebody who has been abused, quite frankly, by his father. And yes. it is that abuse that Jamie Tart, more than anything, is weaponizing against others or that causes him to behave the way that he does so often on the pitch so selfishly. Um, he has toughened himself against that abuse, and it is that toughness that that bites back against other people or that causes him so many problems. And so it is interesting to see that these are multidimensional uh, negative people. They're not just singularly negative people, and that evolves throughout the course of this uh, of this season for sure. Uh, yeah, and and also in this episode, you you touched on on Sam, and I do just I I love this character very very much. Uh, I think Sam is is somebody who like. It, before doing the the rewatch was just like not somebody who was like pinging on my radar at all that was a really delightful part of going back and watching was like paying attention to all the characters that i have not thought about in ted lasso because there's so many people who are such standout the, the series regulars it's just like it's a murderer's row um but the the recurrings there's just so many great characters in there and sam uh, very much uh at the at the top of the pack for me and just like the whole thing about his birthday and the cake is this the this is the episode that has like the suggestion boxes as well yes. if i'm not mistaken yeah. uh, the gaffers fix the water pressure Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really really good um jamie sticking the piece of gum in the suggestion box mouth to to make it minty fresh yeah <laughs> it's very kind to be very thoughtful um see so yeah, i i really i really enjoy this one uh ted's obviously making some headway uh with the team as early on as episode two i think uh but uh jamie does not love that they're uh they are eating cake after a loss which is something he's going to tell uh trent crim the independent yes uh the best uh, head of hair on the show it's really not competitive it's, not. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's really not like maybe danny rojas but still i would give it to trent crim because danny's got other things uh going on in in his life so that takes us to episode three which really is going to be in order uh you know uh, ted and keely find out about the photographs because keely has a friend over at the sun uh who has um uh who has who has tipped her off rebecca's furious with higgins who is just downstairs right uh he'll be right up uh and uh furious that the that the pictures have not run uh and wanting that to be corrected but ted and keely get to her first before anything can happen she is able to squash the photos because she's been you know you got got you've been busted at this point like you can't like 
you know, you gotta, you gotta back off on this one. Um, but she wants instead for Ted and Trent Krim to have a sit down so that this very tough reporter, uh, can, can grill Ted and do the profile that she knows is going to sink this guy. And instead it does the opposite, basically, where it just like really deeply humanizes Ted and whether bravely or foolishly, he's out here facing the music and being part of the community and eating the spiciest of spicy foods. Uh, the first time ever eating Indian food he says um even taking uh trent's food from off his plate so that poor trent doesn't have to eat it all uh is i i really like this one i really i i love the i I love the ted taking trent on like a tour of his day and it's not even like he could have picked any day and it probably would have been a really good time to hang out with ted lasso for sure and there's the manipulation or perhaps manipulation that's the thing about coincidences trent sometimes it just happened like Mm -hmm. there is that classic like oh they're going to do a profile of you what let's see what events we can stack up that's going to make you look the best way possible but this is a i mean this is an episode where ted does not have to manipulate to win trent Krim over ted just is ted and some of the things you're talking about eating the indian food uh or just even going to the restaurant like that's just the ted thing like yeah this is i say this to everybody who's been in my car says ollie the the worker at the restaurant uh but this is something that ted wanted to do um he wanted to show out for this guy he met a friend he met somebody that day it wasn't just a dude who was driving the car that took him into the city uh it was a dude who ted wants to reconnect with and understand and respect as a human being and he's going through that really resonates with trent as does trent uh ted's overall motivational tactics especially with regard to roy kent right uh the the books a wrinkle in time uh roy is exceptionally resistant to this not as resistant as jamie tart who throws his book in the garbage it has to be you it has to be you uh and ted how many times do you think does roy kent read a wrinkle in time we see him reading it at least three times in the show I mean, so this is this is definitely. I'm I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, this is probably not something that we need to spend a ton of time on, but it's possible that we're going to spend some time on it anyway. Uh, is because like why do we I do was, this if not for answering things like this? you know? Because like Roy is like he seems like he's like three quarters of the way through the book when he's when he's reading it to Phoebe, his yes. niece, uh, and then you see him again whether it's next episode or later in the season um he's he's still reading and he's like at that same point so either he's like rereading the transformational uh you know uh paragraphs uh like the relevant passage uh that like speaks to him about it has to be you or he's he's crushing uh a wrinkle in time for like the second third fourth time roy kent either way is a fast reader by having reached the point that he does while reading the book to his niece who does not seem to be paying attention at all nor does she seem to be anywhere nearly close to sleep by the time he leaves her yeah it's hard to scream it's hard to sleep when your uncle is dropping f-bombs in your bed (laughs) screaming as he's reading to you it's a little bit difficult to fall asleep to that for sure but um trent Trent loves that uh, that Ted's a beautiful novel, I think he says, or a wonderful novel. Uh, and Roy is like, not he does not want to buy in, but Trent understands, I think, what Ted is trying to do. And uh, I start to think like that, that's a uh, that's it shows like okay rebecca you've got this plot you put this guy in this position it's ultimately a workplace comedy a fish out of water comedy however you want to put it but this guy is not going to be the michael scott who's going to take years to evolve like he's going to change the systems around him just as those systems are changing him and his relentless optimism does start to work in this episode 
I think you pointed out, like Ted and Keeley starts a little earlier on, but I do believe that this episode three, I don't know how they broke these stories in season one. Like I said, I believe the pilot was probably conceived of and written before uh, some of the rest of this stuff, but this feels like a little bit of a reset with a knowledge of where the rest of the season is going, because this is where we have our first interactions or real uh, connections between, for example, Keeley and Roy uh, in the parking lot. When Roy storms out trying to find Jamie to, to tell Jamie to stop uh to stop bullying nate uh which is something that ted wants roy to take responsibility for and roy knows it and roy's upset and roy and keely have a very funny exchange in the parking lot uh, what's the line about the watch uh and the, oh the, my the ex-girlfriend God. yeah so the ex-girlfriend didn't didn't your ex-girlfriend like steal your rolex for a drug when he goes who cares i don't need a watch and a phone <laughs> <laughs> Just killed me. Classic Roy Kent. Uh, and yeah. we also have Keely and Rebecca, their relationship forming here, because after Rebecca kills the story, Keely comes into her office and said, I'm decided not to be scared of you anymore. She takes Rebecca's side just like overtly in the, the whole stories about Rebecca and Rupert and how the press is so horrible. Keely is like immediately on board, even though she's somebody whose livelihood sort of comes from publicity and comes from sort of being famous for almost being famous. Um, she's very much on board with the way the press treats uh, women uh, so negatively and very much on board with Rebecca's side of that. And I think that really quickly wins uh, Re- Rebecca over a little bit with Keely, uh, as does Keely's uh, love for Rebecca's big, beautiful breasts, Josh. That's what she says. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I love the Rebecca and Keely uh, dynamic so much. I, I love both of these characters a lot. I love both of the performers. I think maybe it was Variety that had, was it Variety that had the cover story on the two of them uh on juno juno temple and hannah waddingham i'm pretty sure that's the case yep uh so that's worth a read if you haven't checked it out that's really about um their on-screen friendship as keely and rebecca but also just like how much that is echoed uh and reinforced and brought to life by the actual dynamic between uh the two actors they're two of my favorite characters of of the show and i think uh, a huge piece of that uh and certainly one of their dynamics is one of my favorite relationships of the show yeah uh, it, and i think so much of that is like brought to life by like what they actually clearly have between them just so much chemistry definitely and the characters not the actors but the characters have a lot that they can offer each other right keely loosens rebecca up uh she gets rebecca out there she helps her on the red carpet later and those sorts of things and rebecca helps keely actualize in a way where she's just not uh like a like a wag like they would say in the english uh soccer terms like a wife or a girlfriend someone who's famous for dating footballers she becomes a person who uses her natural skills and understanding of the way marketing works and branding works um to provide a real service uh rather other than just you know being out there being famous for being famous uh so rebecca helps keely actualize in that way and i think that 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 relationship is really really strong like i said i just believe that this is an episode where we're seeing the, the the genesis of knowing where the rest of the season is going because we also have Nate's play, um, Nate setting up or designing a play that works really well. Um, that's the beginning of understanding, I think, Nate as a football uh, guy, like a guy who understands the game really well uh, and can contribute uh, on a management level, not just on a kit man level, not just on an equipment manager level, but like on an actual, you know, let's have tactics that help this team level. We really start to see that in this episode with Nate's play. So 
I think they, they, they know where this stuff is going when they're writing this episode in a way that they maybe didn't when they were writing the first two episodes. That also really shows up, I think, in the scene where Roy ultimately goes to the club to confront Jamie and crew about bullying Nate, and Roy headbutts somebody uh, and then looks right at Keeley, and Keeley's breath is gone. She is yes. breathless. Uh, yes. If you watch that scene again, she this is the beginning, for sure, of her really looking at Roy Kent in a different way, or seeing the danger of Roy Kent and being into it, even though I believe throughout the course of the season the the real the real connection between Keeley and Roy comes from Roy's vulnerability. It comes from Roy's soft side. It comes from the ways in Roy in, in which Roy Kent is not the guy that headbutts people at the crowd at the club. He's a different guy underneath. And I think that's where the Keeley victories for Roy and Keeley really come from uh, is that sensitivity. But this moment certainly in the club uh, that is you, you can know. I mean, knowing that they're getting together, you can see that right there on the wall. Like, oh boy, that was a big one. That was a big moment. That's a lightning bolt for sure. Yeah. Um, so Trent's, uh, Trent's piece comes out. Uh, Rebecca is furious because probably both because like it didn't work. Uh, but also because she's like, God damn it. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, this is the one thing she, she does say that to Higgins. I, I, it ha- has to have happened at this point already. She says like the one thing that might undo this whole plan is that just everybody loves this guy. Like, yep. you know, I maybe underestimated that piece of this. Um, episode four is for the children. And this is going to be the charity event that Robbie Williams was supposed to. Ha- it's interesting because Robbie Williams was actually supposed to be on this podcast uh, this week. Uh, and Dude, uh, unfortunately, I can get him. do you want me to? He had to, you want me to text him? I you can know, text it occurs him right to me now. that if, if you could text him right now to get him on the podcast, that perhaps you texted him to not be on the podcast. Oh, that would make me a real asshole, wouldn't it? That would make you pretty terrible. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus enter rupert uh so we Speaking do get pretty to, terrible we do get to see him he is awful and you gotta have someone like this like you need like a show that is like uh this fueled with optimism does i think need somebody who i I don't know where they will ultimately go with the character, um, but you need somebody who at least feels pretty irredeemable. Uh, I I think it is important to have, and so this is the one. Uh, It's Rupert. He is slime incarnate, uh, brought to life, personified, uh, and he is just trash. Uh, you know, this is this is where we really, if you weren't already starting to feel um, uh, Rebecca's plight and her sorrow and her rage and why that is causing her to do some of these really nasty things, you do start to get that here. And Ted starts to see it, too. Um, this is not the first episode 
where Ted is acknowledging um, Rebecca's marital problems um, or her recent divorce. He brings that up in the very first episode, I believe. It's like, yep. I heard about that. How are you doing? Yep. Um, and this is going to be the one where they are going to to bond over this a little bit more, where Ted will uh, tell Rebecca, uh, you think that you're the only one who sees him for who he is, but you're not. Um, right. Yeah, very powerful yeah. stuff. I just was Googling slime incarnate and the autocomplete was penis girth. So I don't understand why, but <laughs> maybe there's something there, there. Um, yeah, it is. Oh, uh, no. It is. Uh, you're right. And Ted sees Rupert for who he is. And that's massive. That's massive for Ted. It's massive for Rebecca. One of the things that I think is interesting. Don't no Google matter, massive. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I think is interesting to think about over multiple rewatches of the show is how well the show does thread the needle of Rebecca's antagonism versus Rupert's overall antagonism. And when Rebecca may actually be a bad person uh, for what's happening, or if she ever is, or if she's only ever a person who's hurt and is responding in kind. Um, we'll get into that as we discuss some of these later episodes. But I, I think you're right that this putting Rupert on full display and having Ted see him for who he is and having Ted be there for Rebecca and say that line to her. This is a very important moment in their friendship, in their relationship, in the growth of uh, Ted and Rebecca uh, together. Um, this is a, a big episode. It's also kind of the episode where everybody's together. There aren't scenes in separate places. Uh, we don't have, I mean, we do have that, but we've got everybody in this one room. Um, Josh, I know you really like the show Succession on HBO. I like it yep. as well. That show specializes sort of in getting the characters all in one place and letting them just bounce into each other and bounce off of each other and cause conflict and Most cause damage. feel located, right? Yes, like yes. you feel like you're in a place uh, and it feels like the episode has a definition through that. I think Ted Lasso is not always like this, but uh, much of Ted Lasso does have this vibe. Right. This, this episode is the most like that so far. For this sure. episode really delivers on that and it, it enables them to do things like, okay, Jamie and Keely are separately feuding and Roy and uh, Jamie are separately feuding. And because they're all together, both at the same table and at the same event, those feuds bleed into each other such that Keely uses Roy uh, to get back at Jamie for Jamie having someone else there bidding on him and being so petulant about everything. Um, Roy's not happy about that. And Keeley's not happy that Roy's not happy about it. And so putting all these characters together in the same place allows for those sorts of cross interactions in a way that we don't necessarily see throughout. It's also how Keeley and Rebecca come closer together in the loo, as it were, uh, and having that connection there. So putting all these people in this place and having these things sort of uh, bouncing them in different directions, I think it's a, it's a really strong way uh, to take what they've established already about these characters and to mix it up in a cocktail, uh, perhaps without actual alcohol, like Ted suggests. It's either going to be a really good idea or a really bad one. Uh, but I think it's a really good thing to get them all together in this one place and bounce them off of each other. Um, but I... I really do like uh I really do like that Ted immediately sees Rupert for who he is because that I think is is super important. Um the the understanding that okay, even though this guy's a really bad guy, um the fact that you were divorcing him is going to you know the fact that you you know you're going through this messy public relationship issue, there's no doubt it's going to cause you harm. It's important I think to establish that from the jump. Uh and it really bleeds into the next episode where Ted and Rebecca have formed this connection and then we really start to find out, Josh, in the next episode, Tan Lines, where um, the Ted Lasso uh, relationship is and why that's causing such pain for him. 
Yeah. Um, which I'm, I'm ready to talk about unless there's more from, no, I'm good. for the children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is, uh, this one, this one kills me, uh, is, is, uh, the, Ted's family is, is coming to town, uh, and we get to see him as a father. We get to see him as a husband. Uh, it is not, uh, it is, it is not going well in his relationship with Michelle. This is the episode where, um, uh, that, uh, that that relationship basically ends uh where you know they're gonna have it under under the umbrella they're gonna have the conversation of it's okay uh you know this is the the you can let go jack kind of kind of conversation that uh really really got me the first time i watched it and i was i was no better prepared on uh on the rewatch me neither every time i watch it it gets me you know love with your eyes love with your mind love with your dare i save forever like that, it just, Ted is so willing to do anything and everything, even including moving across the globe to give his family space to try to make this thing work. He said he's never going to give up on anything in his life. And for someone with that, quote unquote, what he calls, perhaps parroting uh, his wife, perhaps not, his constant optimism uh, being too much, quote unquote, like understanding that you can't fix things sometimes like you cannot make something work you cannot make it right there are some things that you're going to experience in life that you can't just power your way through with optimism that you have to sit with and you have to understand the impact of and you have to get to acceptance with um it's just so wonderfully done in this episode uh and i think it's it like i said it squares it up right away with ted talking to rebecca right at the beginning about his issues and the my constant optimism is too much he says it sort of as a joke in an offhanded biscuits with the boss conversation that rebecca is sort of barely part of um but it really sets the stage for what is to come in this episode um that's a longer run than he thinks that and that's another metaphor uh, as ted is running across uh, the field to his family it is a much longer run. Um, and this relationship will, will come to cause Ted so much pain, but it is so central to not only why he is in the show, uh, but how his ways and how his ways of being Ted Lasso can sometimes not be enough, that there sometimes needs to be more to it, that he needs the support of others sometimes. It is important for him to lean on other people, to talk to them, to share. It is important to him to accept that you can't always optimize your way through things. I think that's so brilliant. It also contains Josh... One of my very favorite beard and lasso moments uh, after they win the match um, when the crowd is chanting wanker, wanker, wanker at Ted, but this time positively. And yeah. Ted says, same, hey, yeah, but different. same, but different. Uh, yeah, it's like the 80s back then. You love this part. Dad I used remember. To be good. Yeah. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. Beard says, who was president then? And uh, in the 80s, yeah, uh, Ronald was, Reagan, Ronald Reagan, the actor. Yeah. Oh, you did Doc Brown. I love when you do Doc Brown. So funny. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so funny. Like, uproariously funny that moment and just really does a good thing and like so much of this is is real like so much of this is pulled from real moments i believe i and i I am so sorry that i cannot credit where i read this because i read so much uh over the course of the last couple of weeks in preparation to podcast about season two um there's i believe a real story and i it might have been uh it might have been something connected to Tottenham Hotspur. It might not have been because I think it might have come from uh, Spurs fan Brett Goldstein, a.k.a. Roy Kent, 
himself a writer on the show who um, wrote this episode who wrote this fact. episode i think yes. he was saying his inspiration was a moment when there was a spurs player lucas mora who had been under a lot of fire and had been taking a lot of heat he had a great moment in a game um and then he ran over to the crowd and everyone thought he was like sticking it to the crowd but then the the sort of seas parted in the crowd and his family uh his wife and his daughter wife and his child uh, were coming down the the aisle and he picked him up and all of a sudden you look at this guy so differently like you've been hammering him as a sports fan and not seeing him as a human being and you see him as a human being in that moment uh, and it maybe changes your your view of him a little bit and that's what happens with this Ted Lasso wanker 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 positive cheer moment um, this is their guy like they did they, they got a, they did a good thing they got a good result uh, it's also significant obviously uh, because this is the the moment where Ted his relationship with uh, Jamie really comes Comes to a head, perhaps because of his anger and his frustration with what's going on with his family being there. He's under a lot of stress. We see an angrier Ted than we normally see, and we see him finally over it with Jamie Tart and taking him out of the game uh, before halftime. I mean, this would have been a national story if he did this uh, to his star player, removing him. This would have been a national story. So, yeah, um, I mean, everybody's reaction is is huge, and obviously uh, Rebecca's cool that <laughs> right. just wanted to get your first. Oh yeah, no, that sounds great. Right. Um, um, but like Jamie is is furious, the fans are furious, um, and yet they still win, and it's the first uh, AFC Richmond victory under Ted's watch, um, uh, which he does not need since he also has a phone. Yes, that's a very good joke. Um, I will say, fun fact, by the way, about Roy Kent and Brett Goldstein, and I do know that I heard this on the Little Gold Men podcast, uh, which is a product of Vanity Fair. Yes. Um, there was an interview with Brett Goldstein on that podcast, and in it, uh, he sort of reveals that he was initially told that uh, by Bill Lawrence, uh, the co-showrunner and the creator of Ted Lasso, uh, he was told uh, by Bill Lawrence, uh, who he had worked with on a failed pilot uh Oh yeah, we'll bring you in as a writer, but I think you might be right for a role on this show. And and Brett Goldstein's like, great. Uh, and uh, Bill Lawrence said, yeah, it's this guy. Uh, his name is Higgins. He plays the the sort of uh, you know, uh, you know like this oozing sort of unctuous like uh, a low key kind of guy. You play characters like that, so I think you'd be really good as Higgins. Uh, and so, can you imagine a version of this show no. with Brett Goldstein as Higgins? No, I don't want to, because uh, he Roy Kent is such a great character, and it, Brent Gold, uh, Brett Goldstein just defines the the character so well. But like simultaneously, the the like the light background evolution, because he's not like a huge character, but they do great stuff with 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 Higgins, uh, with Jeremy Swift as Higgins. He's just like his facial features, like the way he reacts to stuff. Um, the what's the name of the beard? He he. Oh, the uh, Van Dyke. The Van Dyke. Yeah, you know, just a reflection of how he feels. Totally chill, uh, and like his upright bass playing. Um, the the runner about his poor cat, Cindy Clawford. Uh, who he has mentioned already at this point as of next episode uh, she has passed uh, like Higgins is just a great character and the fact that like he's a, he's another great example about how this show can do so many different things tonally because uh, he is he is such a great source of laughter I think Higgins but he also has one of my favorite like 
moments of the show engaging in morality plays um, when, um, you know, he like tells Rebecca like enough because he's like really become enchanted by Ted uh, and the, and the whole vibe of it all, like he's alive again in this, in this company. Um, and he's like t- telling Rebecca it's enough. And uh, this, it's when he's going to, to quit. And she's like, you, you coward, like you, like now this is enough after all of the women you snuck behind, uh, uh, behind my back for Rupert while you and I were having lunch. I thought we were friends. And he just like, he's just so straight facedly like owns, like I need to carry that shame with me forever. That does not make what you are doing. Right. Like that scene. I, I adore that scene. Yes. Um, that- so for so many reasons, like to not have Jeremy Swift as Higgins is something that I don't even want to begin to think about. Well, and I will again, credit that podcast, uh, that, uh, Brett Goldstein sort of said, I think that might have been throwing me a bone, uh, like saying that with no real intent for me to be in that role in that apparently when um, Jeremy Swift auditioned, like even before the audition's over, they're like, this is the guy like we cannot we don't need anybody else for this role. This is perfect. This is who Higgins is. So it was a lock, I think, at least from what I'm given to understand once uh, Jeremy Swift did audition. Uh, whether or not there was ever a real intent for Brett Goldstein to play Higgins, I don't know. There was no real intent for him to play Roy Kent, though. I believe that the role had been offered to a couple of different people, and there were scheduling issues. It had been turned down. Uh, and Brett bet on himself, and he sent Bill Lawrence a tape at like midnight with uh, five scenes that he had done as Roy Kent. And he said, like, look, I know this is kind of kind of weird. Um, I know I might be risking my job, like making this awkward for you, having to tell me no. So if you don't want to use me in this way or you're not interested, let's not even talk about it. You don't have to respond. You can just pretend I never sent you this. But here is my shot. I think I understand Roy Kent. I think I can be Roy Kent. And then at like three in the morning, he got an email back like, okay, this is really good. We need to, we need to maybe talk about this. And, and the rest is history. Like he became yeah. Roy Kent. Uh, so he bet on himself and pushed himself forward is Roy Kent. Uh, he is I love a, that. He's a comedian and he's a comedic performer. So this is not something that uh, that is out of his wheelhouse, but um, he, it's something that he really pushed forward uh, to do. So I really like seeing that. And I, and I love seeing, again, I love the sensitivity that emerges with Roy Kent. And I do know that that is, uh, that is the connection between he and Keeley on that level. Um, there's a really good example of that in this uh, episode, Tan Lines. Uh, where Ted is talking to uh, Michelle and they're talking about like the end of the relationship uh, and, and it's raining out and Ted's so upset and all the song is playing the Mumford and Sons, lo- you know, love forever, whatever it's called. And all of that is happening. And Ted is basically saying like, I remember back to when we first met, we were just those two people in that parking lot. And then we smash cut to Roy and Keely in a parking lot and Roy coming up to Keely and talking to him. Uh, and it's the, end of one relationship and it's the beginning of another all being played at the you know, against this backdrop of this you know very emotional song and these very emotional moments uh it's just really really good did i do something wrong you snuck up on a woman in a yes. parking lot in the middle of the night yes uh, <laughs> yeah did i do something wrong like roy's really worried so like yeah. it, it's good like it's just so so good this episode the end of it especially is so emotional it definitely gets me every single time uh, maybe it's that damn mumford and his sons josh it's just so yeah ridiculous. his large mumford and his large adult sons yes 
Yes, yes. Um, One of whom is canceled and we won't talk about. Episode six is Two Aces. Uh, Two Aces is where we go when we are just past the halfway mark of season one. It is, uh, uh, this is really the, this is is a really big Jamie Tart episode, especially before he kind of like goes away for a while. Um, Literally because he has been, uh, he is returned to Manchester City who had loaned Jamie to AFC Richmond for the season is what I have to be reading on the Wikipedia page right now in order to pretend like I understand what any of that means in sports. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it's something that doesn't even really happen in sports. It happens so uh, just like it are, uniquely it's not in that- football. Because it's not like this isn't like a like a triple A situation. This is like minors to majors. Like, what is this? So you're you're right to bring up um, minor league sports because I think that is the way that that's the lens through which you might be able to understand this a little better. First of all, I mean, I guess we can just do this right here. Do you understand how uh, relegation works? Do you get promotion and relegation generally? Vaguely. Uh, so they they did so poorly in the season that they have been busted down to like a shittier league yes. effectively. Yes. And so they but they can they can uh, bootstrap themselves back to being where they were. Yes. Uh, and so that is what Ted is pitching by the end of the season is like, all right, we've been relegated, but we will clean up next season and we'll come back. Yes. I mean, in, in every major sport, you have to have a, a, a much deeper roster of players and people under contract than you have who are actually going to play for you in any given weekend. And the reason for that, of course, is things happen, right? People get injured. People have long-term injuries. They have short-term injuries. They have reasons that they need to leave temporarily for one reason or another. Family issues, things that come up. They, they're, they're just a lot of reasons why you need to have a much deeper roster. You also are going to have a lot of young players that are under development who may not play right away. In baseball, those people play in the minor leagues. They play four or five seasons typically in the minor leagues and depending on what age they are they're coming up throughout the ranks they're aging up they're physically maturing they're getting different and so by the time that they're ready to contribute at the major league level they will come and play major league baseball but uh especially in soccer throughout uh throughout europe throughout the world basically um they these younger players there there really isn't a minor league system where each club has like six different clubs that they manage uh, and you can move players up and down throughout that ladder. Uh, most clubs have uh, rosters where they play uh, certain young players. Um, they have these academies where they train people up. We hear Roy Kent in this episode talking about going to the Sunderland Academy from London uh, at age like eight or nine. Um, that means he moved to North uh, East England or, or uh, just the, I guess I think that's Northeast England, but uh, he moved to Sunderland, uh, North Central England at the very least, uh, moved to a very cold uh, work working class area from London, uh, not the same thing at all as a child, uh, to basically go to school and learn how to play high-level football uh, from a, a first-team's academy, basically. And so those young players, players under contract uh, to your team, maybe don't have the opportunity to play so much, so you loan them out. Um, you you loan them out to lesser teams, and that and then at those lesser teams, they have the opportunity to play a lot more, to grow, to develop, etc. You're still playing their contract; they still belong to you. As they age up and they get better, they can come back and play for your team. Uh, but for now, um, they go and play for somebody else, and so that's what's happening with Jamie Tart. They're in the same division; uh, they haven't been relegated yet, uh, but they're a lower level team in that division. So Jamie Tart's a very talented guy who probably deserves to be playing at that level. 
but maybe is not ready to contribute to Manchester City, who are the champions of the league at that time, I think. He's not ready to play on their team as a starter because they have so many quality players. He's like they're next in line. They want him to go to Richmond to get better. They want him to go to Richmond to work on his left-footed cross, but also probably the other things about Jamie Tart's game that are problematic, like his being a poor teammate. So they're sending him somewhere else to get that seasoning, and then he'll Deal come back to Deal with that elsewhere so that when we have you, you are uh, not like working this stuff out with us. It's yes. already worked out. Yeah, and you don't have the opportunity to do it for us because if you do it for us and you learn those lessons for us, we're, you know, we're playing at a much higher level, and those mistakes are going to cost us in a much more significant way right right so So let them cost afc richmond yes and meanwhile afc richmond can get one of the best young players in the premier league they don't have to have him under contract and they can have him playing constantly and so it's a benefit to them too uh to loan to loan that player out and there most of the time a player gets loaned it's for that reason it's because the the opportunity to get games and stay in shape and develop and learn is not there uh, for them at the team that they're currently under contract. But if you loan them out to another league or to another team, they're going to get more experience. Sometimes the loans are very targeted. Like you loan them to a league where uh, maybe they need to get more physical as a player. So you loan them to a league with a reputation of physical play. That happens a lot in England when teams go down to the second division of English football, which is a much more grueling schedule. Uh, and it, they just play more, more matches and the game itself is more physical at that level. There's less finesse in it. So if you you want somebody to develop physically, you want to challenge them, and they're not going to get the games at your level, you send them down to that second level to the championship, and they're going to they're going to get it beaten into them uh, pretty quickly with the way that that sport is played. So Jamie Tart is a loanee. Um, he is there at the permission of another club, and that permission can be revoked uh, under contract uh, or under certain rights or restrictions, um, pretty much for any reason that the other club wants. And that is certainly what we see with Jamie at the end of this episode, really, right? Just as... Although it's really incentivized by Rebecca, right? Like, she's the one who's like... Because there's a lot of team building that goes on in this episode. Danny Rojas shows up. Danny Rojas! Rojas! Uh, Football is life! Uh, The source of so many uh, incredible gifts. Uh, That's what they do, right? That's what a gift does. It's just over and over and over again. Yes. Uh, You know, (laughs) Some might call it a, a gif. A GIF, uh, just a, a really, really wonderful character who shows up here uh, and just uh, you know all, already just lights up this this super bright show. Um, so it's a, it's a standout episode for for that reason. But this is also like he gets hurt. Uh, he's uh, there's all like the superstition about the treatment room. They need to lift the curse. Everybody sacrifices a certain thing in order to do that. Uh, rest in peace, Cindy Clawford. Um, th- th- did you just call that blanky? <laughs> No, I said blanket. I said blanket. Uh, all right, next up. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they go through this whole thing, and, and this is even the moment where, where Jamie comes out of his shell. Uh, and, like, it's finally, like, after, like, you know, playing the game that he plays with, with Danny and, like, seeing that maybe he isn't just, like, uniquely hot shit. There is somebody who is also hot shit and also seems to have a zest for life that he does not seem to possess. And that is in, in no small part thanks to, as you mentioned, like, the abuse he sustained from his from his father which we see at the end of the season how he has done so much to just like callous himself so that he never appears soft to his father again that he has forgotten that he really did this to make his mother proud um and we have this huge breakthrough and you imagine that like the next day we are dealing with a very different jamie tartan therefore a very different afc richmond two aces we have two aces right um and rebecca sees this and rebecca who is still just living in like her 
her uh, her her lavish like four bedroom penthouse of pain uh you know is is still just not ready to to abandon her quest to destroy Rupert by destroying Richmond and so she is going to uh, uh initiate the return of Jamie to Man City indeed and i think it's important to note again it's very subtle how you do this. You you talk, not you, but just how the show does this. You talked about how Jamie Tart has these calluses that he's developed. And I think Rebecca's wounds have scabs on them. And there's a couple moments in this episode where, this episode where the scabs get ripped off. This isn't just her being vindictive about Jamie Tart. It is her being vindictive because Keeley tells her the press is calling her old Rebecca. And she learns right. about how Rupert is behaving uh, with the other Rebecca. With, uh, is, with Bex, with Bex. Uh, who who oddly is played by someone named Keeley. Yes, who I believe herself was famous for being sort of famous. I think the character of Keeley is probably loosely based on Keeley Hazel, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm basing that on Whose my middle own. name is Rebecca. Well, <laughs> we're really down the rabbit hole now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the robot hole. It's bad. It's Rebecca's all the way down, baby. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely it, it's it's a scab that gets pulled off. It also gets pulled off because. Recall, Danny Rojas makes his dramatic entrance when they've exercised the demons and they've burned all the items and they've removed the curse from the training room. And Danny Rojas comes back and it's revealed that Higgins, it was Higgins' idea uh, to kind of shield that and to, to make it be this big dramatic moment for the team. And Rebecca says something like, oh, team first, right, Higgins? And Higgins is like, uh, yeah. And Rebecca throws her coat off and stomps away. And it's like, that's because she knows what it's like to be sold out by Higgins, this fuck. Like, she knows yeah. exactly what it's like. This is ripping that scab off and reminding her what it's like when Higgins takes her side with another man uh, just against or takes against her side, you know, with some other guy that's, yeah. you know, everybody's a, a real charmer that everybody loves and is in love with against Rebecca's wishes. Higgins is siding with that guy yet again. It is not lost on me that that's why she immediately goes and does what she does. She yeah. could have done it earlier she could have done it earlier she does it because she's hurt and she's being actively hurt by some of the same people and some of the same things that caused her so much pain to begin with Uh, that's why she lashes out the way she does not just because you're right it would make afc richmond so much better to have the two aces but because this is a this is an action in response to everything that uh, has happened to her but the little things that we saw that remind us of that this episode Uh, i also really quickly want to hit a couple of things one some subtle yet funny to fans of football jokes about unemployed managers calling up. Uh, this happens all the time. Tony Pulis and Harry Redknapper mentioned like these are guys who are sort of in the murderer's row of guys who would just be predators of a club. Uh, Sam Allardyce is a big one too. guys who like will take a job uh, if a team is on the brink of relegation and team is doing poorly. They will gladly take a fired manager's job and make it their responsibility to play exceptionally boring, straightforward football that does that pre- presents very little threat of loss, but also very little hope of win uh, just to squeak out a few points here and there. So they don't get relegated. These people don't typically keep these jobs very long. They bounce from job to job. So it's very funny to hear them sort of name check there by Higgins at the beginning of the episode. It's also really funny to me to see all of the, the various and sundry items that are being thrown into that, uh, into that barrel. Some of them have significant emotional value like blankie or like Sam's photo of the nigerian world cup or jamie's boots some of them are ridiculous like the sand from the beach uh, where a supermodel uh mm-hmm. copulation occurred for the first time uh the clivo and sunglasses 
stuff, Nate. This is his most important item or sunglasses when a woman once told him he looked like Clive Owen wearing them. Hilarious. Uh, and uh, also the Lamborghini keys like that is not on the same level. That is a very expensive thing that was thrown into that uh, that that barrel. So I really think that that's funny. And yet another great uh, opportunity for them to make little character jokes for these people that are in the background of some of these scenes that you get to know better throughout the course of the season. Uh, also similar on that front, Josh, um, what's the best Martin Scorsese movie? This is a debate that's <laughs> white hot uh, in the pubs of Richmond. It's not The Departed. It's you know, uh, Although for me, you know, The Departed is my, is my jam. Yeah. Uh, so uh, don't ask me. You won't get the, the right answer. I, um, I told so, you this. Let me real yeah. quick. I told you this when I, in that scene, uh, they're shouting out the, the names of these movies. And it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth time I watched the show that I realized Roy Kent's answer is also a joke. Yeah. Uh, as the, we've heard like Age of Innocence, bruv, like, you know, Goodfellas, isn't it? We hear all these answers and the din is growing and Roy in his captain's way yells out, silence! Which is also, of course, the name of a Martin Scorsese <laughs> yeah. movie. Uh, it, very yeah, funny. That was tw- 2016. Yeah, was, very was funny. Uh, yeah, it's a good joke. That's a deep cut for sure. Um, all right, so Jamie is gone. And so, like, morale is sort of in this odd place because, like, they did they did group up. They, they really are uh, working really well together interpersonally, at least as a team. As they go on the road in Episode 7, Make Rebecca Great Again, where uh, we will, uh, I guess we have not been uh, dealing with uh, the real Rebecca all along, uh, uh, perhaps a Rebecca variant, a Loki even. Um, we are going to meet uh, Flo, a.k.a. Sassy, uh, Rebecca's oldest friend, who is going to end up uh, sleeping with Ted, who is probably at his, uh, I wouldn't say even probably, this is the lowest we see Ted in the entire show, is um, the certainly the the evening where he's just uh, beyond blitzed um, and reams out Nate. If Ted Lasso is Superman, then episode seven Ted Lasso is Superman three, uh, just getting uh, shwasted and being horrible. <laughs> yeah, or Iron Man too. Uh, for that one scene where there was almost actual conflict. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. This is this is absolutely what this is. I think this is the best episode of season one. Are we on the same page about that, or do you have one that you prefer? Ooh, interesting. Best episode of season one. Um, it's this or Tan Lines for me. I would say. Yeah, uh, and I also do love Trent Crim, The Independent. Those are three really good ones. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I really, I mean, but, all of the episodes are yeah. are excellent, but. This one stands out to me for so many reasons. Uh, I just think the emotions of this episode, it, it's sort of a mission statement right away that they show that Ted's divorce is, is front of mind for Ted and Rebecca's anniversary is front of mind for Rebecca. Putting those two things on display as sort of connected uh, or It's going to be really great to look back on when, uh, when Ted and Rebecca eventually get together. Uh, in- important to talk about in this episode. So yes. let's, let's talk about it right now. Do you ship that or do you think that's a thing the show wants us to ship? I don't know. It's very sitcom-y. Uh, they're, the, they're the two leads. Um, uh, you, can, you can certainly imagine the world where that happens. I root against it, personally. Uh, uh, and I, I need to see more and I won't be like totally taken aback if that's where it goes. I think that there is track. Uh, this episode, they are very close. Uh, they're both, as you, as you say, they're, they're, um, dealing with very meaningful, um, 
meaningful and important moments in their in their in their romantic journeys, respectively. Um, they share a really powerful moment when Ted is having the panic attack, and Rebecca comes outside and helps him through that. Um, there is uh, there is definitely a potential vibe to explore here. Um, I I hope it's not that. I think that I think that the like the the story of these two falling in love as friends I think is really powerful as well. That's my personal preference for where it goes, but should they take it the other way, uh it's not going to be without uh having put some some time into developing that story along. I think this episode is a is a really really big piece of that should it ever go in that direction. Definitely. And tan lines, uh, also, also like the history of like him, you know, Ted sleeps with her best friend. And like, right. I don't think she knows that yet on the show. No, I don't think so. Unless, yeah. uh, Sassy, unless Sassy told a tale, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you're right. Like, this is a very important moment. It, it sort of mirrors in some ways, uh, or I guess directly mirrors the, uh, for the children episode where Rebecca is outside sort of having her own feelings or in her feelings about Rupert showing up. And Ted comes outside there and comforts Rebecca, uh, and they have their moment outside. And, and Ted says, like, you know, points to the carriage and says, "You want to get on this thing? Get the heck out of Dodge! I mean, come on!" Like he is ready to drop everything that for the night and take care of Rebecca and be there for her. And it's 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 a very interesting thing that happens in this episode that we see that parroted, uh, or we see it like rebounded back to us in a Liverpool way. Uh, by the way, Josh, if you have not, uh, if you've not done this before, if you've karaoke, not, no, if you've not, if you've <laughs> if you've not gotten divorced, uh, gone out to town, sung karaoke, had a panic attack, and then had a one night stand, have you even been to Liverpool? Yeah. I guess. I think that that is the question, right? <laughs> yeah, like that is the question. This is a very Liverpool night out, it seems like, for, for Ted Lasso. Um, I, I don't know about the Ted and Rebecca thing. Um, I agree with you. I like them better as friends. I like them better as in love as friends. Uh, but I do think that there there is something there. Uh, Ted and Rebecca, Ted dancing, and wasn't Kirstie Alley's character on Cheers named Rebecca? Like, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Uh, you said it's very sitcom-y. It is. I do, though, think that... Do you think the show is trying to introduce a swerve here at the end of this episode? We have this uh, the song Strange by Celeste playing as all these relationships are being shown. Ted is texting his divorce papers, and we see Keeley and Roy Kent uh, walking away for the first time uh, as, uh, you know, evolving from strangers to friends and friends into lovers. Um Rebecca is seen in that hotel bar with the, uh, the, the, the service staff member who, uh, Sassy had previously flirted with her on behalf, or for, flirted on behalf right. of her with. Um, and then we don't know, we get, Rebecca gets a text from Ted that basically just says, thank you so much for being so supportive. And throughout this whole adventure, it's really been something like that is so heartbreaking that Ted would send that text to Rebecca and she's looking at her phone. She's in the bar and then we cut to a knock on Ted's door. Is there any part of you who thought that that knock was from Rebecca? Yeah, I think on first watch for sure. And I think like that juxtaposition is obviously by design, which makes you, you know, think like, if that's obviously by design, they're they're aware of the potential right. uh, uh, exactly. of, of these two together. So they're writing towards that, whether it's just like to mess with our expectations or because they've got plans for it. That's the question. Right. And I don't think we necessarily know. It does say a lot 
that Rebecca's giving her Brava performance of Let It Go and the Conceal Don't Feel lines, everything, it's understandable how this all really hits Ted the way it hits him. Uh, but that Rebecca notices that, that she's the one who follows him out. I don't know how long he's been outside after that, but seemingly I think it's probably pretty much one-to-one. Like she sees him leave, finishes her song, and immediately says, like, what happened to Ted Lasso? And like finds him outside. That she does that and that she puts that so central and so forward Ted Lasso's emotions, that they're so important to her. That's where it becomes a little difficult for me in the next episode and the one following, um, that she hasn't come clean and that she continues to do things which sort of dig the knife in a little bit. Um, that's where it's hard, it becomes harder to accept her pain as an excuse, uh, and it becomes uh, more about seeing her pain uh, as something that is causing so many other people damage and she needs to get her shit together. Right. Uh, and that that's, I think, really where... This is the episode where it's like, this is no longer uh, kind of something I can easily wave away, what you're doing to Ted Lasso, Rebecca, because he's having panic attacks. Yes, it is in part because of everything that is happening with his relationships. But to think that the pressure of the job or the pressure of not letting these people down or not, you know, the pressure of not being around his family while all this is happening, not being in his normal support system because of the choices that you've made, Rebecca, and you've made this harder for him and you've gone out of your way to cause this man pain, even if you were doing it to cause someone else pain, it's time to pay up on that. Like, it's time to stop doing that. And the fact that the show doesn't necessarily lean into that a little bit, um, that's where it's a little tricky for me in terms of whether they fully thread the needle. Because you're right, Rupert is the ultimate antagonist. He is the antagonist of the antagonists. Like, he's the one who's causing all these problems that are causing the problems for everyone else. But... This is some. This is where Rebecca's behavior starts to to get out of bounds for me. Ted sending her that text and everything that happened with with Ted. It's like you, this can't go on anymore. And yeah, I think Higgins feels the same way because by the end of episode eight, he has quit uh, and he has that big moment that you were talking about. But episode seven is the one where I'm like, okay, Rebecca, you don't, you're off, you're not off the hook anymore. Like you are fully on the hook for what's happening at this point because you notice. You notice Ted Lasso's emotions. He's telling you what they are. You're seeing what is happening to him as a result of what you're doing. This has to stop. Uh, and I said, this episode is just so, so good. Um, what about the Iron Giant? Why is this the movie that Ted chooses to show? Is this the moment? Is this it, Antonio? Is this, <laughs> is this the moment in my podcasting career? That I have to confess publicly that I've never seen the Iron Giant. That makes two of us, if so. Is this the moment? Is this the moment where it has to happen? Yeah. Can, this will be the thing that we are added about the most. <laughs> it seems people like- love the Iron Giant. People love the Iron Giant. People love the I hear the, the Iron Giant must be incredible. I'm sure it's terrific. I just haven't done it. It hasn't happened. It seems like this is the moment that's going to lead to you recording a post show recaps theme <sighs> about the Iron no. Giant. You know what? You're stuck with it. You have to join. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. It won't, I mean, iron rusts, right? So my hey, tears, this? My we'll tears a, will make it the rust giant. We'll do a, we'll do a bonus uh, Iron Giant post-show recaps theater for the patrons of post-show recaps. Does that sound like something you want to be interested in? Sign up. Patreon.com slash post-show recaps. It'll show up in that feed sometime between now and seven years from now. Um, One final yeah. thing about episode seven. Uh, I really like... They do it again, I believe, in episode nine. But they they play a little games with the introduction to the theme song. Uh, The bus is starting to pull away and the theme is picking up. And then the theme sort of slowly winds down and they have to pull Nate out of the cargo hold. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Get him back in the bus and then it picks back up. Uh, I really like that little, the little trickeration that we do with the theme song. We'll see it more in episode nine with Danny Rojas singing his way into the episode. Yes, very good. Uh, Make Rebecca Great Again will also be where uh, where Roy and Keeley kiss, which becomes a big part of the storyline for the Diamond Dogs. Oh, yes. Great needle uh, drop. Great needle drop. Uh, as the Diamond Dogs are together, uh, Beard, Nate, Higgins, Lasso, the Diamond Dogs that are going to help uh, Roy uh, try to deal with his, uh, his not just his feelings towards Keeley, but also his feelings towards Jamie Tart. Because uh, while Roy and Keeley had a very on fuego uh, kiss uh, between themselves uh, in Make Rebecca Great Again, he very awkwardly like uh, walked away from her. And Keeley uh, then the next day tried to ask him out for coffee. He declined. He was busy. He doesn't handle it very well so jamie shows up is very introspective is like you know having like decent he's not he's not there to to for the pavlovian trigger <laughs> yeah uh, you not know a squirrel. It, he's got a little nut doesn't he like none of that no mojos but it works oh sometimes by by not going yeah. for the you know like, yeah. just by sometimes talking that's exactly how it works uh and so they sleep together and she confesses that to roy when roy comes to her and asks her out again uh and he has to mm, he just has to like you know groan his way through the pain the diamond dogs are going to uh you know put the point on it i believe beard gets to 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 drive it home uh grow up and get over it um so this is a this is both a, a very big episode for roy and keely coming together but through their uh their uh well, i don't know about that uh but through their first date at least and the start of their relationship um it's not just going to be that these are this is a, a an important character coupling for presumably for for moving forward deeper into into lasso but also this is going to be how we get back to the worst thing that rebecca did in her quest to destroy richmond at least up to this point arguably um is the the paparazzi photos uh from uh the photographer she hired to to snoop on keely and ted because that uh paparazzi photographer is taking the picture of roy and keely roy gets the the data card they presumably uh, go through it for the pictures of their first date. They find out she brings it to Rebecca. And that's the big cliffhanger of Diamond Dogs, which is like, Rebecca, you do now have to face this or I will face it for you and it won't go well. Yeah. Um, and this is like not only just after the panic attack, but this is after Ted white knighting, as he says. Some people call it white knighting <laughs> uh, for for Rebecca as he uh, as he crushes Rupert. He, he dart sharks him. Yeah, really, really great barbecue sauce. Uh, such a good scene every Sunday with his dad until from ten to sixteen when he passed away. Uh, just like there's so much, there's so much mythology behind yes. that, which I, which I yes. love. This was something that I was remarking on um, in the Poster Recaps Patron Discord was that like one of the things I'm so impressed with is the world building of this show and like the inherent mythology and just like the things that are that are uh, clearly like coursing through the veins of these characters um, that don't even need. To to be like spoken out loud more than a few lines um but could of course be rich oil veins at certain points uh to to explore for these characters down the line um ted lasso through this point eight episodes in of what we are talking about with two to go uh in this uh particular conversation 
already has like the kind of mythology that a quote unquote prestige drama, like a cookie cutter, like AMC drama uh, would never even come close to having in seven seasons. Yeah, it it really does. And it's so smart how it does it. Like you said, within the context of a monologue, we find out that Ted Lasso lost his dad when he was 16 and that the the show makes its mission statement in the seventh episode or eighth episode here in a way um, when Ted says like his life method message is to be curious, not judgmental, um, be curious, not judgmental. That comes up so much in everything that Ted has done throughout the course of this series. And I think that it is um, it is something that a lot of characters have to come to grips with uh, seeing the world through that lens. You mentioned that we're dealing in this episode with Roy Kent's feelings toward Keeley, but also Roy Kent's feelings toward Jamie. And I think we're also dealing with Roy Kent's feelings toward feelings like Roy Kent's ability to understand that this is that he is that he is more than just this hard man on a football pitch, a box to box, like all action midfielder who's going to like be involved in so much. And and just like a, I, I believe I believe like a, like a walking fist was the way Brett Goldstein described it. Like, you know, just this this guy who's constantly looking to punch or looking for something to wait for a way to headbutt his way out of a situation um, that is that is on display in this episode where he's coming to grips with that. Um, when he first encounters the diamond dogs, like this is my personal nightmare. Like I don't mm-hmm. want any part of this. Um, you know, he first walks in and says, are we having a meeting? And Ted's like, no, no, we're talking about my relationship issues. And Roy's like, I'm out of here. Uh, but later he is willing to accept the diamond dogs and willing to accept their point, essentially becoming part of that group. It's really good. And that again, that just, you've got a lot of mythology about Roy Kent that came out like that. He, the fact is that blanky is important to him because he moved away at such a young age to learn to play football and he's having to come to grips to come to grips with that and obviously the big roy kent coming to grips with roy kent episode is the next one uh but you're just if you talk about mythology it's being built so deeply like it is with ted and the the dart speech um it is it is something though this is the episode where uh rebecca is being truly dark in my opinion having experienced everything we did in episode seven ted's panic attack his message to her knowing uh, how he is feeling about her actions um there's no set i don't have a real sense that that's weighing on her here she's like gleeful about what's happening with ted being used for the milks the milk sisters they're gonna love you uh the two percent milks Mm -hmm. oh no did they expire like so funny (laughs) rebecca has no real guilt to this she's so thrilled when ted puts rupert on blast she's so, so thrilled that rupert gets his come up and she's like bragging about it to higgins and that is i think her lack of her lack of real uh real acceptance or responsibility um is what causes higgins to quit like rebecca is willing in the face of all of this to still release the uh, open tickets to manchester city and let more manchester city fans be in that ground uh Higgins has had enough. He's had enough because Rebecca is loving having her cake and eating it too. She's loving having Ted Lasso bully Rupert around and embarrass him. uh, And also loving that the club will do poorly uh, and embarrass Rupert. There is no respect on, on uh, Rebecca's part at this point. And Higgins has had enough. And I, I do think that it's meant to go that far. I think it's meant to have us there because it takes something that far to push Higgins uh, himself, uh, such a sycophantic, like a uh, yes man yeah. to, to actually push back. It has to be that she's being truly out of bounds at this point for her to continue to be the way that she is to get Higgins where it needs to get. So I understand it. 
It's just that this is where it's a little hard to just forgive Rebecca for everything. Um, the characters who will forgive her for anything stop forgiving her for everything in this episode. So it makes sense that we as viewers would as well. Uh, what about the Gershwins, Josh? Are you a big fan of the Gershwins? Always. Always yeah. have been. <laughs> I love the ongoing like musical theater. Like they, mm-hmm. somehow these guys are jocks uh, and they're they're sports oriented. But Beard and uh, Ted are musical theater obsessed, and that is a big bonding point with Nate as well. Yeah, like, I just he think was it's really the understudy funny. for Anita in yeah. West Side Story. It's another layer of the Nate Onion that we just yeah. peeled back. So funny. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. love Roy Kent's uh, bitmoji that we see when he's texting Keely. We see Keely's unanswered text where she's asking about the coffee, and if you look right above her unanswered text is a text from roy kent and it's his bitmoji so it sort of looks like him but it's the one where like the censored mouth uh saying a swear word and i imagine roy Phoebe kent put that on that, his phone yeah, yeah probably yeah that's yeah. really really funny uh, yeah. i love that i also love how the idea of calling the diamond dogs the proud boys makes <laughs> nate hurl into a bucket <laughs> yeah it's not a one-to-one because he's hung over but it may as well be it is all but a one-to-one yeah oh it's so bad love that. uh it does it does lead us directly into episode nine all apologies and i mean like there's a couple different ways we could go you know branching paths right now like do we do we take the do we keep going on 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 roy kent uh chasing down the field like he's angry at the grass uh and no longer really being able to do that uh and needing to be needing to be benched and ted not wanting to do that because of how that might impact his livelihood uh and uh that it's not all about winning and beard uh throwing it down that sometimes it is Uh, And that's okay. These are professionals uh, and it matters. And he doesn't want to drink with anyone that's selfish. So he then is able to, it's the sexiest thing his his chess playing uh, former lover has ever seen. Has ever seen. Get your coat, get your things. She's been toying with you. Checkmate. Uh, There's there's certainly that whole storyline about Roy coming to some measure of acceptance that he can still be Roy Kent if he is not, you know, the Roy Kent on the pitch, if he is, uh, you know, if he is going to be benched, that there is still uh, that, that it's not going to matter to Phoebe for one. It won't matter to Keeley for another. Uh, There is simultaneously in this episode, uh, Rebecca having to deal with the aftermath that Keeley is saying, like, you got to tell Ted or I will. And Rebecca is going to say the thing that I think is very easy and very human to say in this moment, which is like, it happened. Uh, he he will never know. Why do I need to like tell him now? Uh, what's that going to change? And Keely saying to Rebecca, "It will change how I feel about you." Uh, is a, a great exchange between the two characters. Yes, but it will eventually come out uh, after uh, uh, after Rupert shows up specifically to see the look on her face as he tells her that he is having a child with Bex, uh, which is uh, a real uh, slap in the face, considering that he did not want to have a child with her when she wanted to have a child. Um, That uh, pushes her to finally owning up to it after a false start earlier in the episode, uh, the rewind, uh, as it were, uh, that she will come to the locker room and confess everything to Ted uh, and it will just be met with, I forgive you. And this is effectively the end of this storyline that has hummed throughout the entire season. This has been the gas uh, for a lot of like the antagonistic power of the show and is just gone. And I think that that is uh, for some 
Uh, I know we, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this offline. It's like a tricky thing, kind of like to navigate. Like, did the show do enough to justify where we are with these two? Is this kind of the point of the show? I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of there there um, with the way that the Rebecca and Ted story um uh is uh coming to a head in this moment in the fact that it should be this climactic moment that is happening in a penultimate episode like game of thrones style uh to to you know bring septa unella back into it that sopranos, it's like this, sopranos you know style. right it's like this is where the thing is going down and then it's not a climax at all it is anti-climax it is i forgive you and that's yeah. it divorce is hard yeah. Divorce is hard. And it I do believe there's going to be some fallout from this still. Um these moments I think Rebecca does have sort of a a charm offensive that has to happen uh in season 2 for us to really get back on board. Um I think it's understandable the fact that our uh sort of avatar here or our eyes uh in experiencing this new world uh Ted uh the fact that he is so willing to forgive her because he understands uh, exactly what, what people will do and the great lengths they will go to. Nate could probably tell you, or Nate's dad could probably tell you exactly how many miles they are, but he understands that. He understands exactly how far you might go in order to process or deal with uh, something that's happening when a relationship is collapsing. Uh, I still think that there there needs to be uh, some repair done there. Even though Ted forgives her, and even though in that moment they're on the same page uh, at least a little bit, um, I think we, we we need some more. There needs to be something, some more there uh, to bridge that gap because there is a huge gap. And regardless of whether it's a divorce is hard gap, I just don't think it's something that's so easy to yada yada. I know this show is very interested in saying, like, look, maybe this isn't realistic in terms of how quickly people can change or how quickly these things can evolve or how cleanly it can happen. Uh, maybe it's not just a matter of getting somebody to read a Madeline Lengel book or whatever, uh, and then their perspective quickly changes because their niece makes them feel a certain type of way, or Jamie Tart's perspective is not going to change just because Ted had one incident with him. Like He's not going to be a fixed person. So I don't know that Ted and Rebecca will be fixed, but I think in the fixing of them, if you're talking about a show with a three-season arc, you can see how that might might evolve over the course of the next two seasons. So it is definitely something to put a pin in. It's not something I'm super rooting for or rooting against. I am at the mercy of the show, gladly. I, I'm happy to see what the show wants to take this story, uh, where the show wants to take the story. I'm happy to see how that evolves. But it's definitely uh, put on display here, as you were saying. Yeah. I also I also really like, um, I do like the Roy Kent stuff uh, because it's a story that I think on a sports level, it makes a lot of sense and you hear it a lot. Um, I think it's one that Brett Goldstein is certainly familiar with from a footballing perspective. Uh, he has said that he, he's known a lot of professional footballers in his life um, through family connections and just understood like how these people who basically from the time that they drop out of regular grade school when they're eight or nine uh, and they become like on this track, then they're, then, yeah, they've made money by the time they're 30 or 31. But their whole life is in front of them. They have no other trade. They have no other ability to do anything. And they probably aren't socialized or adjusted. So this is an interesting perspective uh, to put on display here in the ninth episode of the show. I will say it's a little bit clunky to me. 
I don't feel like I got the sense in any of the previous five or six episodes that Roy Kent was as problematic to the team as episode nine is making it seem like he is. Uh, I, I agree. Don't, I don't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like that was developed much. It feels sort of a little bit out of nowhere. He had just in the previous, and not the previous episode, but I guess in Make Rebecca Great Again, yes. right? Like he, he Won had the been game. fired up by Nate uh, yep. to, to go out there and uh, chase down the grass. Uh, right. Like, you know, so he had just had uh, like a full on berserker Wolverine moment. Uh, And now all of a sudden he's just like, uh, you know, a tin man who is beyond oiling. Right. Uh, It is, it is quick. (laughs) It is quick. Yeah, but it's okay. I mean, it it is, it is quick. It's a little bit, it's a little bit clunky, but it's okay. I also really do like, as I said, I like the way they play with the theme song and twist it with Danny Rojas singing it as Roy's sitting in that tub. It's great for Danny Rojas to be the guy when Roy Kent just wants to sit in misery in the dark, that it's Rojas that's coming in and being the sunshine and that he starts singing the theme song in Spanish. It's really fun. It's a great transition. Uh, we also, Josh, have a, we haven't talked enough about Beard as a character. Uh, this is the episode where we find out a revelation that Beard has been paid to bite someone in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. I think I, I just... <laughs> I don't I, need I, to know anymore. There's so much about Beard that I don't need to know. I sent uh, you some I sent you some article. I think it was an interview with Brendan Hunt uh, where he was basically saying at some point in the, uh, the development of this show, there had been the idea that Beard would have been just like this character that in the background of the show, Beard was doing things that we didn't even necessarily realize that were making headlines like man rescues family from fire, stuff like this. That Beard is this international man of mystery. We have some of that with his like, uh, you know, that he shows up to work in the same clothes. We don't know. He's got a girlfriend out of nowhere. We don't know where that came from. The chess stuff. Uh, And now we find out he has some past as some sort of biting gigolo. I don't know exactly what that is, but Beard is a man of mystery. And it it is interesting to learn more about Beard as we go, for sure. I think he's he's a great character to just sort of have as like uh i don't know a a, sor- a source of a lot of that just like enigmatic comedy i think is uh is a really fun um because ted lasso is is for us as viewers certainly and to many of the people in his life is such an open book yes that i think to have a uh, beard as like a locked diary that is left out on the desk you're like I'm tempted to open this. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Ted, like Ted Lasso like, is a dog and Beard is a cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that that fully hits because of how much you enjoy Ted Lasso. But it's uh, a fair point. It's a fair yes, point. I think uh, that is that is basically it. Um, as we're as we're moving into the finale here and talking about that one, um, I will just say that like percolating in my mind your idea about how uh, there needs to be more and the show is likely to explore further consequences of what Rebecca has done here. Uh, And as we talked about earlier, like what will the show do with Rupert at some point in time? Um, I think something that I can certainly imagine, and I will, I will qualify this as, uh, as a prediction. In fact, is uh, the, the, the world at large learning about the real reasons of why Rebecca hired Ted the lengths to which she went to uh, destroy Richmond from within and the uh, subsequent um, need for her to uh, either be removed or step down from Richmond and Rupert, who now once again has skin in the game, right? Like he's going to have some ownership via, via Bex um, taking on more of a role there and Ted having to deal 
with Rupert uh, as Richmond is rebounding. That would be my prediction for where that is going to ultimately Oof. go. Wow, that's rough. I, I That's bleak. I don't know. I mean, you're right that, that Rupert... Being in the show, there's probably some way to do that that isn't just simply an antagonist for Rebecca anymore, that there are probably ways to do that. I don't know, understand why Rupert wouldn't just fire Ted uh, if that were to come to pass, but it will be interesting to see. Public favor, he's actually doing well with the team. He can, uh, you know, game respect game at a certain point, um, you know, beloved in the community. Um, it would be, it would be, a, it would be, it would be tough to, to, to figure out exactly how the show remains intact, but... Then that's again, not our job. But then again, that's not our job. And this is a show that is apparently designed for a three-season story arc. Sure. You know, this is like the kind of thing that happens at the end of a second season. And where are we at going into a third season? Is it that Ted has also walked away? Uh, and we walk into season three with AFC Richmond back uh, and uh, eyeing the championship uh, for a third season uh, to to put this in the language of uh, another sports oriented drama that I actually do adore. Is this like a, a Dylan versus East Dylan thing that, you know, that begins to happen for the for the transformation of the of the final act of the show? Um, just something that's where my head wandered to uh, as you talked about, like, what could the consequences for Rebecca be? Because Ted, I take him at face value is good. You know, he's 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 good with Rebecca. Um, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be good if they find out more about what happened here. Well, and even if they don't, the mere consequence of relegation can cause such an uproar that Rebecca's actions will certainly be called into judgment. And she'll face all the sexism that will be inherent in all of that that yep. she's already facing. She'll face all of that backlash that won't or, or can't be easy from a mental health standpoint. The question becomes how much will she want to put up with? Does she want to buy into this project uh, to do for the better? Uh, we're going to explore all these things in season two for sure. Um, but I, I very realistically, if Richmond AFC got or AFC Richmond got re- relegated, like there would be significant uh, focus put on her actions uh, that led to this. Uh, they were mid-table, apparently, I believe, when the manager was sacked and when Lasso was brought in. So that means they went through a precipitous nosedive uh, and ended up relegated. Relegation costs so significantly. It may not cost Richmond in the same way because they're London-based and you know there are probably other businesses or things that are, that are businesses related to Richmond that will be just fine with not having the Premier League in that very specific area of the 19 times a year that it's there or the you know 26 or 20 seven or 28 or however many home matches they might have had through other competitions. Um, but in, in different cities, uh, it can completely cripple your city's economy. Um, it can completely yeah. cripple what is unique or special about your city. So this is uh, not something that will be taken lightly. I assure you, the, the fan base is more than just the people uh, in the pub. Um, the fan base is a lot more than that. And I don't know how this will go over. And you're right. It could it could have some fallout from a practical standpoint uh, that we have to deal with. Um, it's the hope that kills you, uh, that of course, being the title of the final episode. So it isn't just that they got relegated. It's that they did so in such a dramatic fashion and in such a way that is just crushing um, that it may take some time to really repair those wounds. And you got to imagine that the reality of that is going to be reflected on Rebecca's job as the uh, the chairman uh, or the person in charge of the job, the chairperson, as it were. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, every disadvantage has its advantage. 
Uh, that is what is suggested in episode 10. Um, so maybe it's something that, uh, that we can play to the advantage of the franchise. Uh, maybe expectations will be lower. Uh, maybe they'll be freed of the fear of relegation having experienced it, and now they can come back up. I don't know, but uh, it Does will be Roy difficult. Does Roy Kent get more playtime uh, on a relegated AFC Richmond? Possibly. I mean, I don't know about the nature of this injury, but a, a person like Roy Kent is a guy that you know can have a long-standing career in the championship. It's not that the championship is not high-level football; it certainly is. Um, but there are just it just I can't even explain it. Like there are more matches. Um, the matches are in some more out-of-the-way places. Uh, the travel can be more burdensome. Uh, the game times can be more burdensome. Uh, they typically are playing twice a week all season long. Uh, and throughout the weather, the pitches maybe at some of these fields in the championship are not as pristine as the ones you'll see in the Premier League. It could be harder on your body. It's just a more physical game at that level. So I can I can absolutely see um, that being something that could go either way with Roy Kent. It could be that he could play more. It could be that he could play less. My thought is that he probably will retire and join the backroom staff of AFC Richmond, become one of the coaches. Um, and that, that's, that makes sense. That's a very common career path for an ex-footballer. He could also be sort of in the wind for a few episodes and maybe be brought into AFC Richmond eventually. Yeah. I mean, it is totally possible that there will be stretches of this show where he's not really in the picture. Uh, look no further than Jamie Tart being more or less absent from the back half of season one. Right. He's the one that I'm interested to know if he'll play any role at all in the second season, because he really only comes up in the first season after he is sent back to Manchester City twice, right? The time when he visits Keeley uh, because the, the team is in town and the, playing someone else. And then the time that uh, he visits Keeley and then they later play Manchester City because they are there to play AFC Richmond. So two plausible reasons why he would be in London uh, to work with AFC Richmond or or in and about or in and around their people, but maybe not necessarily any other reason to bring him back unless they find some way to bring him back. It is not implausible that Manchester City would loan him back to AFC Richmond and want him to play in the championship, but if he's the kind of guy that already had a Premier League loan, it's hard to say realistically that he would get loaned to a lower table side, um, especially since he seems to be starting and playing well for Manchester City after having been recalled. So I don't know. Maybe they will buy him. Maybe AFC Richmond will just purchase him from Manchester City. Uh, maybe that's something Rebecca will do to try to win some fan support back. Uh, maybe that'll be at the request of Ted. I'm very interested to see how he will play a role in the second season. I think there's plenty of ways you can bring Roy Ken into the story and not have him be um, the story of the guy who's giving his last uh, last legs, as it were, uh, to finish his career strong. It, it could be something very different. Or it could be that he's a sub, that he's now a full second teamer, and he's just not playing that much, but he has some key moments throughout the season. That could be the case as well. Uh, yeah. What do you think of all the trick plays in this episode? Do you, do you find that fun or funny? Um, it was a little hokey, I think, like the let's bring American football into 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 this at the end of the Yes. Uh but you know, whatever. It's fine. It was a little bit of like ducks fly together, the flying V. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the goalie. You know, it kinda had that vibe for me, which is fine because I don't really care uh that much about like the realism of it, but I can imagine uh someone who cared a little bit more about um the like the fidelity to the to to soccer in in the show, uh maybe maybe cringing uh just a tiny bit. Yeah, I think <sighs> If you look at it, this is sort of what the fear of the show developed by uh, off of a commercial 
you know, that that was just really based around the central joke of fish out of water. American coach tries to bring American methods to English football like this is the sort of what you were worried this show would be exclusively like uh, if you're watching the show based on just knowing that it was pitched or developed on that premise. It's like, oh, we're just going to have a bunch of goofy sight gags where the players line up like American football players and uh, nobody knows what to do or how to respond. Like it just seems like this is what the show could have been if it really focused exclusively on that. And so I could co- totally forgive it since the show is absolutely not that largely, but it feels like a early pitch joke um, that has made its way into the final episode. Uh, I like, though, that the idea of the trick plays in general is something that uh, Lasso is pulling out here. Uh, the set pieces, the complicated set pieces, as it were, um, it, it speaks to a, a little bit better or more advanced tactical knowledge or somebody who's starting to think about the game more tactically than Ted does. It is the, the beard influence. It is the influence of the players who have played. It is the idea that they could do things differently. Every disadvantage has its advantage. You know, they're going to look at you and, and think uh, one thing about you. So maybe you could zag when they think you're going to zig. Like, I do think that there is some element that makes it welcome in the show. Um, I also really like in this episode, how Nate is promoted. I think that's a great ending to his arc from this season. It will be interesting to see the Nate stories that are told as we go forward, uh, him growing into himself as a person a little bit more. Uh, there are a lot of tropey ways they can do that. He can get in a relationship. Uh, he could be dealing with that. Um, or there could be other things that they do uh, with Nate. But promoting him feels like a great cap to the beginning of the season when he's the guy who runs across the pitch. My favorite Nate moment, though, is when Ted is selling Nate's brilliance to uh, to Trent Krim and Nate is kicking the poo uh, off the field. And talking about it in the background. <laughs> so funny. Like, Nate, oh, this guy, yeah. he's forgotten more about football than all. And he may as well be a savant, far as I know. And, oh, someone's done a poo. Like, you know, yeah. Nate is like you're walking there. It's so funny. So funny. He's great. He's a great character. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a good finale. I think it it, uh, it feels like sports movie tropey to some degree. But I think, um, uh, I, I feel like, what are you going to do? I guess it's like ending a Marvel show without an action scene. Uh, like I think like you kind of you kind of probably need at least for season one season two established at this point uh, you know um, uh, robustly Emmy nominated season two of Ted Lasso I think could do something a little more experimental in its finale than it probably can get away with in its first season um, but it, it does leave us in this uh, this interesting place for like the structure of the show uh, the relegation for the team and where can they go from there and it does sketch out something that feels like a clear arc for the for the next two seasons which is why uh it feels likely uh to to uh to zig instead of zagging uh at some point in time although perhaps that is the uh that's the trick antonio and we're just not we should just expect the expected but then that's the trick so anyway oh. you'll get you'll get lost down that wait road till for, i get going wait till i get going <laughs> uh so there's there's that piece of it um there's all of the different character interactions whether it's like roy coming to terms with where he's at and that final image of him alone in the locker room with keely is just so wonderful i love that very very much um I love Jamie getting the the message uh, of congrats on the extra pass plus the 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 runner of the toy soldier he gets one um and uh, just seeing that scene of like uh, watching his father just like rip in to Jamie is just so brutal, awful to behold. Um, and I'm sure uh, very, very powerful for both Jamie and Ted to have 
shared that moment together as potential fuel for their character arcs going forward and the interplay between those two storylines. Um, so it is, it is a, a rich finale, a Richmond finale, um, as we are, as we are, uh, careening towards season two, which as of these words will be in front of our eyeballs, uh, in less than, uh, a week. So exciting. Cool. That's really yeah. great. Maybe Jamie Tart will down tools, as it were, and agitate his way for a move to AFC Richmond. Maybe he'll want to come back. Like, maybe Roy Kent will retire. Like, we don't know. You're right. Like, it could be expect the expected, expect the unexpected. Whatever it is, we will know in very short order. And that is exciting. It's thrilling. It makes me happy. I'm, I'm excited that we'll be here to talk about it uh, and to break it all down, to track these things as we go. Uh, and I'm just... There's so much more they can do, obviously. I didn't bring this up earlier, but like the rain, the scene with the the Mumford and Sons forever playing and the beginning of Roy and Kent's relationship. There's such a tradition of the British romantic comedy, right? Like, and Ted Lasso plays on those elements. And there are certainly other elements or things that they can play into as a show that's self-aware and a show that understands and is very referential of pop culture and including a lot of uh, what what Ted and Beard are always getting up to, referring to different things. Um, It's a show that probably has a lot that they can pull on or play from when it comes to tropes it doesn't just have to be sports movies it can be romantic comedies it can be things in the english tradition there's just so much that i think that they can really pull from and i'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, what's in their basket for season two Um, a lot of it will probably play on some of these sporting elements that are unfamiliar josh i'll be here to help you uh, to the extent that i can throughout please Uh, so we'll be learning along the way uh, and teaching lessons to the extent that I can teach them. Uh, but certainly if we ever get anything wrong about any of this, uh, please let us know. Um, it's very telling. For example, I just uh, like at the end of this first season, um, the song You'll Never Walk Alone is the song that's featured uh, by Marcus Mumford, who is the show's uh, music supervisor, a cover, a song that was originally featured in one of the beloved musicals uh, that uh, Ted and Beard love so much. This one was Carousel. Is that right? Yes, that is yeah. correct. This yes. is a song that has personal meaning to both of us, a lot of significance to both of us, yes. very emotional moment for both of us to have that song featured at the end. Uh, but to the extent there are other things like that that have significance in the sport, I will definitely be here for you uh, to try to help you with them. Amazing. And yeah, as you say, Antonio, if we get anything wrong, we do have the feedback line open. Ted Lasso at com. You can email us, you can yell at us. You call us wanker. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, uh, we're here. We're available. We're 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 uh, we're ready to learn. You can also just email us to be like, you guys did great. Uh, this was great. Or if it's a tie, which a is draw, unnatural, a draw. A draw. Uh, yeah, you guys have ties here. Uh, if you have a tie that you'd like to send to us, uh, you could send that to Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com or you can tweet at us at Round Howard at AC Mazzaro. Give us the Z's and the R's again. Two Z's and one R. Uh, and yeah, uh, find us on your podcast app of choice wherever you listen. We're going to have the Ted Lasso feed coming your way soon if it is not already available. So keep your ears perked for that. And July 23rd, that's the day. That's when season two, first episode, drops on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, do you have any, any final predictions or anything else, Ted Lasso-y, you want to you wanna knock out there into the universe before, uh, before we're officially in this thing? There's a lot. The, the, just talking about that, when you were talking about things that could happen with Rupert, things that could happen with Roy Kent, 
there are ways that uh, in English football, these lower division clubs can still play clubs in the upper division. There are a lot of, there are a couple different in season tournaments that are played among members of the football association in, in England. Uh, and some of which are played, uh, exclusively by members of the English football league. So there are ways that, we can bring some of these Premier League teams back to the table. We don't have to spend all our time in the championship this season. There are other competitions they can play in. Uh, I, I would imagine if we're talking about the lower division, we're going to examine some aspects of that. If the Premier League didn't make sense to Ted, I got to imagine that's what's happening in the, the championship is not going to make sense to Ted and all the various competitions that we didn't really scratch the surface on um, that if you're a club that you'll be participating in throughout the season. Uh, so I think we're probably going to see some more of that. I think we're going to see the show stretch its legs in terms of what it exposes about uh, the English game a lot more uh, than we did in season one. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Awesome. All right. I'm really looking forward to digging into this. It was so much fun to just crush the season of Ted Lasso the other day as I was watching. I was so happy to be back in this world. It's pretty clear to me as we have a, a slightly longer than two hour runtime talking through all of season one of Ted Lasso that there is just much meat on the bone, Antonio. Tons to talk about with the characters, with the themes, with the storyline, all of the various jokes. Just such a rich show. And I'm really, really pumped to explore it all. We will start doing that as soon as this first episode of season two drops july 23rd we'll be back a couple days after that with our recap of season two's premiere we will be here every week talking through the second season of ted lasso until next time everybody take care bye-bye Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.